you cannot do this data driven. Yeah. You Which know, game was it? Is it baseball or this is the game of baseball? Mm-hmm. Maybe you can elaborate. You know, yeah. because I think this is exactly right. Yeah. So, so that's one one field where where they were using statistics to really uh, compose the team. What do we need to win? Right. But uh, the field that intrigues me more uh, more that's uh, in, in endurance and sport. So, yeah, right. so how can we get our engine, yeah. <laughs> our human machine to perform as good as it can. And and here, as I mentioned, the Norwegians are really pushing it. Um, in, in which sport? In tri- that's triathlon. triathlon. Yes. So they are in the lab, they are testing their performance, they are testing their um, VO2 max, their different thresholds, they are measuring lactate to see the stress on the body, how much recovery do they need, and how can they Im- improve. So it's really track, model, predict, um, results and how can we win and then act every day and do the hard work and it's no difference in, in in business it's really 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 the same so we need to understand what drives what what drives our performance how can we model it how can we follow up how can we act and can we improve so i think that's um so very have sensors in so for, for Nor- norwegian that try to yeah become data driven when it yeah. comes to the training i guess yeah. or triathlon yeah, yeah. What do they do? Yeah, they have sensors, uh, so they measure everything. So yeah. they, 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 um, uh, of course, as many, uh, what should I say, uh, everyday athletes, you have your sports watch, you measure your heart rate, you measure uh, your your pulse and your recovery heart rate and things like this. They measure everything. They measure lactate, that is basically the stress response in. Um, in the energy system and so on. They measure that to be at the right intensities. Mm. Uh, they measure their heat, how uh, the core body heat. Uh, they even have um, some sensors that uh, measure the uh, ba- basically uh, the, the energy system. Glucose um, levels. Yeah, exactly, exactly in in the in the bloodstream and right. how that is varying during during training and so on. So they have a lot of sensors to they get relevant data, and they are building out uh, very interesting profiles of how they respond to different stress. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But the, the, have you have you guys read Atomic Habits? Yes, yes. Because I think what is missed sometimes in business, mm-hmm. uh, but I think is better understood in sports, is that. You know what looks like a very transformative activity on the yeah. outside yeah. is ultimately compounding effects of ven- very many many small things yeah. done right. Yes, and, and m- making a habit, right? And making yeah. a habit out of yeah. it. So, so the the, the, the storyline around mm-hmm. sports science in in one of the case mm-hmm. studies in Atomic Habits is the UK cycling team that yeah. was very very uh, very average cycling team, yeah. and they they went on a scientific journey mm-hmm. to to. Uh, lift every stone, so to speak, yeah, yeah. And, and do micro improvements everywhere. On, yes. on, you know, on the paint, <laughs> yeah. the, the weight of the paint on the yeah, bike, yes. you know, ridiculous stuff. Yeah. And then in the end, it turned out to be one of the most successful cycling teams coming. You know, in, in just a couple of years, they were focusing, I think, on the London Olympics. Yeah. That was their sort of goal. But this is, I think, this is missed sometimes in business that we don't understand. We, we we think about the big transformative programs or project where everything is actually no, no, no. Get your patterns mm. right. Get mm. your habits mm. right. Mm. I, I, 
Absolutely. It's a lot about um, the cross-section between people and technology to um, really drive the change and introduce a cultural shift also. And if you mention pricing that were and commercial excellence, it's equally important to get the cultural change in place, how we think and what we do and um, really shift maybe from a volume focus to a profit focus. Things like this can, can make a big difference. And I think let's go back a little bit to the whole the scientific yeah. approach. Yes. So regardless if it's, if it's sports or now business, business it's mm. about this putting up an hypothesis yeah. and start measuring things and yeah. start getting your yeah. data right. Yes. And, and here I think that business at times, if we look backwards now, the last five to 10 years, it's been collecting data, collecting data, collecting data, not always with the purpose in exactly. mind. And there I think sports do better. Uh, what is it we want to drive? What performance is it that we want to drive? And what metrics, what sensors do we need to drive that performance? So turn things around a little bit. And the same in business, we have been so eager to just collect the information without thinking about how we're going to use it. So making sure that we put the right ingredients in. I was sitting with a client the other day and we were going through their, their data and it's a lot of data, but it's not well structured and it's missing some how it's recorded. So they, uh, if you record transactions, what are the attributes or the dimensions on the transactions that you would like to have? So you get traceability of, of that lactic, lactic curve or whatever it is you want to follow. And then you realize that going back in that historical time series and add these dimensions, that's close to impossible, um, especially if it's not s- stored anywhere. You don't have anything to join up. But if you're mindful with how you record the data, you can make sure that those relevant dimensions are collected uh, in, in your time series. Interesting. And, and one thing, of course, is to use analytics for training performance. Yeah. Then you can use it for other things like a referee assistances yeah. or whatnot. Yes. Do you have, I mean, some people say it removes some of the charm or yeah. glory of um, soccer, for example, using what's called VAR, this video assisted. Video assisted referee. Yeah. Do you think it removes some of the charm? You asked if something upset me or Of course, it could be very frustrating if if kind of the traditions disappear a little bit but I, I think we should um, we should see it as a good complement still yeah. and, and make uh, sports more fair um, uh, we, we, we take that triathlon example again you cannot draft on the bicycle you need to keep a certain distance uh, because otherwise basically you get an advantage from the rider in, in front and here they are exploring to introduce sensors that would um, uh, basically signal if you're getting too close and I think it's actually good because it's been a lot of um, subjective things from the referees no you were in you were in it's very hard to judge from a motorcycle next next to the the bike ride this what is that distance right. if they could take that away and maybe get the pre-warning then it's um, it's a big change uh, big change for the sport but I think it can also be helpful but but Anders, I think and now I'm speaking from my own, uh, how I view the yep. World Cup and everything like that. I think the problem is not to do it 
uh, in, in theory, oh. it's the execution yeah. that fucks it up. Like so, when, if, <laughs> if people get VAR right and you're yeah. using it in a good way, and you find the you find the way how to use it, and the way that is some sort of standard that each. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it seems almost like if you watch the World Cup, that yeah. different umpires had completely different, different understanding for how they use VAR. Yes, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. It's the execution that's the problem. Not not that we start getting complementary capabilities. Support. So support mm-hmm. is good. Yeah. Once again, it's the execution that that you don't do how it you use it and using it with um, uh, consistency. Yeah, and, and this is going to be now, I think when you talk about, is it you know ruining the game? Is it yeah. ruining the culture? It's about how you implement it that will ultimately determine that. This is my personal opinion on that. I think it's great. I mean, I but guess I, we can I, compare I, it to like ChatGPT or something. And, and someone, you know, today is making a, a comment online, some kind of debate and someone is just, you know, quickly trying out, you know, in ChatGPT, is this correct or not? And, and yeah. they get a quick response. And I think, you know, in every kind of situation, even in, I guess in sports as well, you, you will have AI giving some kind of judgment yeah, very quickly. Don't fight it. It's going to happen anyway, happen. right? It's, it's the execution we need to work I, on. I had a colleague, this is 10, 10, years, uh, 10 years ago or more, that uh, talked about um, uh, basically like a, like a delta. How long time does it take for me to figure out the solution or what I want to test? And how long time does it take me to perform that um work or that test or that whatever it is mm. if that uh, is very long the, the difference in time it's frustrating right yeah. you have a great idea but you can't really evaluate it yeah. and i think what with ai and chat gpt etc we're shortening that enormously yeah. so what took uh, weeks or <laughs> can now take uh, literally just minutes so okay. it's a accelerator yeah and it, uh, I think it's also is affected. It's not only that, okay, now we can act faster, mm. but it's also changing the expectation and the velocity. So uh, it, it's helping us to be quicker, mm. but we are also forced to be quicker to stay competitive. Yeah, right. Uh, so so, so it's, it's like, I think, in business as well. Yeah. I mean, and you have personally been um, you know, running in triathlons and whatnot. So, I mean, yes. it's really impressive, I must say, both in Kalmar in Hawaii. And yes, Kona, yeah, we talked Kona, about Kona, Kona, yes, that was fun. Oh, that was fun, right? Yes. And, and I guess, you know, okay, one question, you know, some people say that using AI can be dangerous. Um, and then you can think also... If you use data and AI to help you with the training and perhaps yeah. the inference mode or yeah. when running as yeah. well, it will be an aid. Yes. And perhaps it's more dangerous to not use AI. So, I mean, you're left behind. I think you yeah. will be left behind uh, in business and in other fields if you don't uh, um, start to leverage this in your mm-hmm. business in an operational way. You will, you will be left behind. Yeah. But, but let me let me explore mm-hmm. like like a last uh, maybe to round up the you know, uh, using data in, yeah. in scientific approaches, business, yeah. sports. My observation, and maybe it's wrong, so please correct me, but I think sometimes if I compare, like in business versus sports, in sports, the goal of what you're wanting to achieve yeah. is super clear. Yes. And even the levers you can pull yeah are super clear. Yeah. So the problem framing when you start looking for data and data points and all that is quite sharp if I compare this to how fluffy sometimes mm. business can be in explaining what they're trying to yeah. achieve. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about that? I mean, uh, sports 
it's a, we, we're comparing so many things. So if we talk about chess or something like that, yeah. then the rules are extremely clear. But as soon as we start to look at more complex sports, I mean, it's so many dimensions. It's nutrition, it's training, it's yeah, recovery, yeah. it's uh, uh, technique. It's I mean, then I think it gets equally complex to to business. No, but, it, but the point is not that it's less or more complex. Mm. The, the, the point is that we are more sharp if mm. what we are trying to achieve as a goal with our yeah, analytics yeah, yeah. and what data points we need. Yes. I think we are sometimes my experience has been that we are we having a very lofty goal of uh, we need to have be- better profitability. Yes. So. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and, and, of course. And, and then, you know, could you please break that down a bit, <laughs> yeah, you know, so yeah. we can start working on the levers? Here? Yes, yes. And I think here in sports, it, I, I think sometimes businesses are further away from being yeah. sharp. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm trying. Yeah. Complexity, no. I think, is the same if yeah. you take it yeah. to yeah. one of the complex sports. Yeah. No, but that's uh, that's probably right. And I've been um, if if I if I think about commercial excellence and pricing, basically where I spent most of my my career. When I uh, came into an organization and we uh, we started a journey to explore their maturity and things like this, there is a tendency in a fluffy way to talk about everything and nothing at once. Exactly. So you need to break it down into one thing at a time. So uh, in in pricing, that means. Basically, you go from some type of reference pricing to a net price. And if you're saying our price is too high or we get complaints from the customer. So what's the problem? Is it one product that is not correctly positioned in our reference structures? Do we have a problem in the geography? Do we have a problem in a vertical or segment? Do we have a problem with how we go from uh, into value selling to net pricing? If you have a clear methodology, a clear business language so you can separate these things out then you can also be a little bit a guard of the conversation now you talk now you t- what are you talking about exactly. are you talking about referencing uh, pricing or you're talking about let's net be pricing? Sharp. let's be sharp let's solve if we should optimize this we need to solve one thing at a time and there that's fluffy if you don't do it so really getting into structured approach i think is great i think this is a good segue to yes. introduce on andreas right so, Andreas Westling, Westling, correct. Very welcome to the pod. Uh, you you have been you know I think the longest uh, you know uh, Goran for a long time. And, yes, and yes. You were on the data insight journey very very early with pricing analytics in Navetti. Yes, yes. So so basically. Um, that was the first phase of my my career. I started a little bit in in consulting very quickly. I got into to Navetti running. Uh, started as a consultant. Were later running the uh, consulting team uh, in, um, involved in product development and so on until I I led the company as the CEO for for the last five years on that journey. And that was really being big data before it was really uh, no, a buzzword. Is this? Is this? The, now we're talking 2006. Um, uh, uh, still started as the on-premise uh, world and then shifted to software as a service and cloud uh, during this, this journey. And um, yeah. basically it was data-driven decisions and building algorithms of different sorts from the very, very, very beginning. With pricing in mind. With pricing in mind. Yeah. With pricing in mind, absolutely. So, and, and what's your, what's your uh, uh, you know, if you take a step back and do, you know, who yeah. is uh, Andreas Vestling and what, how, how yeah. you know, how did you end up there and how do you continue into yeah. you know, where you are today? Yeah. yeah. So, 
I think what we're, Andreas Westling is um, a guy that uh, easily get passionate about what I do. And then uh, I, I get focused and I want to see progress and I want to see activity and something something to happen in whatever direction I, I pick. And then um, I tend to have quite long endurance. <laughs> so I'm not going to just shift direction uh, before I've tested. Iron Man guy, not not a hundred meter sprinter. No, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a marathon. I mean, the Navetti journey was like 15 years um, and uh, with struggles along the way and challenges, but always focusing on delivering value to customers. Uh, so, so, so that's, that's me. And, uh, but you, you went to, are you KTH? KTH, yeah. um, industrial economy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, great education, good mix of, um, traditional engineering and some economy, um, uh, financial math and things like this statistics. So it, it was a good base to have, um, and, and, uh, been useful on this, um, useful on this journey. And then, um, uh, uh, I mean, I've been into sports my entire life, but I took a 15 years break. <laughs> not, not, not break. I mean, I, 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 I went out running on the weekends. I went to some, uh, you know, training on the, on the lunch break and so on, but not structured. So uh, 15 years later, I said, okay, what can I do with this, um, this old body? Can I, can I bring some, some life back get into it? it? Can, can I beat my 20 year old self? Uh, I don't know if, you know, it's a 40 years old uh, crisis. <laughs> crisis or what it is, but some people get motorbikes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Other people start running. <laughs> yeah. Looking at yes. yeah, but I think actually I, I, I would leave my 20 years uh, uh, person behind actually right now. I would outrun myself. Uh, and, and when did you do the Ironman in Kona and all this. Uh, that, that was last year. So oh, this, uh, is, not, this, this is, is uh, the old body. Yeah, exactly. No, uh, exactly. That was the. Uh, that was how I tried to measure up if if I have succeeded with this little challenge, and I think I did. Mm. Okay, so what's your score? What's your time? On, uh, on, on in Kalmar nine thirty seven, and just under ten hours at Kona nine fifty seven or so. And so. You, we talked about it before. The, mm. the, it's the heat and the wind is yeah. way different. In yeah, Kona. The, the humidity was tough, and the heat at Kona definitely. I mean, uh, uh, maybe I, I was hoping to be able to uh, perform at the similar time as in Kalmar. But when I got to the island, I realized that no, uh, no, no. not a chance. I mean, I went out <laughs> running first day I got there and I was like, this is going to be a different story. So I'm, like, I'm quite happy with how it ended up. Oh, that's good. But mm-hmm. because in Kona, I think there's quite a few people who are not completing. Uh, I think everyone, the, are, yes. they are fighting very, very hard to complete because it's, uh, you don't want to go there and, and, and not get to the f- finish line. But uh, Many are forced to walk on the marathon because of the um, conditions. Yeah. As people that don't know what Kona is, it's in Hawaii, right? Hawaii, exactly. Big island of Hawaii. Yes. Kona is big island, right? Yeah, yeah. Is, yeah. is that... Kan- Kanua Kona. Is yeah. that, where is it? Yeah, where is it on the island? I think I need a map to <laughs> it. <laughs> but it's big island. It, yeah, it's big island. Not, yes. not Oahu, it's no. big island. Yeah, big island of Hawaii. How do you keep the endurance during a triathlon? Do you... Do you have a special trick for that? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, you need to fuel yourself. 
Yeah. Uh, you need to fuel yourself. You really need to make sure that you fill fill up uh, the energy system throughout the day and that you hydrate. And I think that is that is the key. And that you, of course, balance your intensity. You have any trick before the run or the, the mm, yeah, event? Yeah. Make sure to fuel also the days before. And it's like semlas and stuff? Uh, not semlas. Um, uh, Some people say it's a good thing, actually. Yeah, maybe it is. Uh, I, I think... Uh, Carbohydrates is uh, is the fuel I use the most. Um, of course, you use your like pasta and pasta and things like this and sugars actually. Yeah. Um, quick. What, uh, what do you eat and drink, drink during the race? Hundred um, percent fluid on the bike, and then some gels on the run. So no, nothing else actually. And your it. stomach is a mess. <laughs> no, I, I think many many people have difficulties with with this with the, gel, uh, with, with, with the energy and and be able to absorb it and get GI issues of different sorts. My stomach t- seems to t- yes like take it. it. <laughs> yes, take it. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> well, I've never yeah. run a triathlon. Have you, Henry? Yeah. What's uh, the longest? Uh, I've done run? the well, well, the Olympic triathlon. I actually done. Oh, wh- where did you do it? Uh, in school or something like that. So this is uh, uh, technis, I think. So yeah. um, what is that? That is like ten k. No, it's it 19- one, one kilometer swimming, or fifteen, or maybe fifteen hundred. And then it's and then uh, did the way the the one I did was like forty k uh, biking yes. and then ten k. Uh, running yes and i don't know i'm not sure that's correct that that was olympic was the first thing i did uh, on my own uh, when uh, uh, at the last olympics when when the the norwegians were out racing christian blumenfield won the race uh, i said okay can why don't i do this and then i went down uh, at our summer house down to the lake i swim swim in the lake measured it on my watch Okay, I need a few more hundred meters, <laughs> and then yeah. I went up with my bike. <laughs> so you directly inspired. Yeah, from, inspired from the from, from the, watching the channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't be a couch potato. <laughs> no, no, I need no. To do it. Let's do it. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. think we were clear. You actually ran not the triathlon, but the Ironman. Ironman, correct, correct. And, correct. and that's much worse, right? It's, it's a little bit longer. Uh, it's a little. So bit. the Olympic triathlon is it is, is it ten forty. Uh, what is it? it, it I think it's fif- is it fifteen hundred? I think it's k and ten k yeah. run. And the Ironman is three point eight kilometers of swimming, and then hundred and eighty kilometers of on the bike, and then forty two point two run. Yeah, so you finish off with the marathon. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is a little bit it's crazy. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you have you have you done this sort of what is this uh, extreme sports when you run for days and stuff? No, like uh, that? no ultras. Um, no ultras. Right? No, um, that's the different thing. That's again. the difference. Uh, maybe we, we need to. And and in Stockholm, of course, yeah, it's a big race. Uh, you need to do you know in Sweden in Stockholm in the archipelago, it's been a big thing. Yeah. 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 So you swim, run, swim, run across yeah. a distance. Yeah, Ute to Sandhamn. Yeah, exactly. It's a great great race that I haven't done, but I've done some swim run, runs on Åland, where Ooh. we have uh, we, oh. where we spend the summers. And it's beautiful. Um, really like the. Uh, but the whole idea is like you, you, you start at one part of an island, you run across the island, and then you swim to the next island, yes, and then yes, you run across yes, that island. Yes. So it, it's like you're mixing running and swimming correct, ac- according correct. to the geography, so yeah, to speak. Correct, correct. And I did it last summer on my own, just, you know, when, when the sun sets uh, and the entire sky is completely red. 
and you're out there. I, I was on my own. I had uh, a, a little um, a floating device hanging behind me with a, a cell, cell phone on <laughs> if I would, you know, uh, uh, twist an ankle or something like that. But it was such a nice experience in when you're out there on your own in this you know calm water red sky absolutely beautiful but i need to point out in sweden in stockholm's archipelago if you have a boat or a jet ski and you actually ever try to have the idea oh i will jet ski your boat from sandham to ute (laughs) you know and then you start thinking about that it's ridiculously long and then like are we actually doing this distance in a swim run? And I guess yeah. I guess the the, the straight way is a lot closer because you need to go around the yeah, islands. But yeah, it's but still it's super impressive. Yeah. Uh, no, super those impressive. are those are strong athletes for sure. Do you know the times? To, to no, no, I don't. Like, I don't know. But I think it's a full it's a full, full day, day a full day. It's a, probably a similar like uh, like an Ironman in time, I would yeah. suppose. Perhaps we should go, mm-hmm. go back you know, to the, the place where you actually do work today. But yeah. before that, we actually yeah. spent 15 years at the place called uh, Navetti, right? Navetti. Let's, Let's talk about that. that. Let's talk about that. That was a fantastic journey. I really en- enjoyed uh, uh, building a team, um, supporting our clients to improve their, their profitability. So um, uh, dur- during those 15 years, I would say we saw also that pricing and commercial um, excellence really increased in importance within these organizations from bringing something that you gave to the guy that were soon to be retired, mm-hmm. you know, take care of this until you understood the power of pricing and the difference it, it made to the bottom line. Right. So be part of that transformation What was very interesting. Also to go from um, legacy technology implementations mm-hmm. on-premise, you know, license and maintenance and mm-hmm. realize that we're better off selling subscriptions. We're better off delivering this quicker uh, through cloud uh, technology. was also a um, uh, very interesting transformation to be a part of. Can you give an example uh, of what kind of service or consultancy did you actually do that? Yeah, yeah. so many of the companies that we worked with maybe had relied too much of on cost plus methodologies you know what cost is the cost cost of producing these products okay. what margins do we want how do we mark this up and sell it to the customers right. and what they got back was basically a mix of over and under pricing they got complaints from customers they were losing customer trust sales were frustrated that they were overpriced that was the challenge that they were facing mm-hmm. and they had a hard time maintaining any methods if they improved they did some hard work to improve then they lost that performance after maybe 12 to 18 months so we needed to then shift culturally towards a more customer-oriented approach that was anchored in customer value and in the competitive situations. We talked about value-based and market-driven pricing. That was what we helped them with. So then really you need, the first thing you need to do is to understand what are we selling? It sounds like an obvious question, but how can we convey that? And how can we make sure that we have order in the house so that we group our products into uniformed offerings that we can explain to the customer? Mm -hmm. So to do the segmentations of the product portfolio, we help them with that. Mm -hmm. And then to build value ladders or value curves, value algorithms to the customers. Mm -hmm. And this was done initially quite rule-based. And those rules were uh, quite static. And you maintained and updated them um, with a certain frequency. Early on, now we're talking 2006, maybe it was annual revisions with some mid-year tweaks. When uh, when we sold the company in 2018, it was much more dynamic. 
and you needed to be able to react on the changes in the market with much higher velocity. So a big shift there in in, in the market so as well. Basically, so it, it was customized to the market or adapted to the market at least. Correct. And, and I guess also custom to the industry and customer. Customer. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember some old, yeah, some previous company I shouldn't mention. Yeah. What we were thinking about about the value-based versus usage-based. And, and yeah. if we think like Google Cloud or yes. Amazon yes. or whatever, yes. and, and they sell, in this case, perhaps more of a, a storage solu- solution or a compute solution yeah. or yeah. whatnot. Yeah. And, and they basically use usage-based yeah. pricing. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can you say, you know, when is it suitable to have a more usage-based Pricing and mm-hmm. when is a value based more suitable yeah, potentially? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think actually it, it's not one or the other here. Even okay. in a usage based model, mm-hmm. hopefully the metrics that you use in that usage based model I is see. linked to customer yeah. value. Oh, um, good answer. I see what you mean. Yeah. So, so uh, that it should be value based and market driven, even if it's usage. Uh, isn't it also nice to, for for a potential new customer to have more pre- predictability in the costs that it will have? So knowing that a bit upfront could be also valuable. Yes, and and that's uh, explain and defend. So uh, yeah. explain and and defend your offering. That's important. That your sales organization, or if it's more of a self service uh, uh, buyer journey, that they could. Uh, it it would be self-explanatory, that it's logical and well-perceived. And here it also depends on what position do you have in the market. If you're the market leader, if you're the one that everyone else is looking at, it's even more important to have a, a price structure that you can explain and defend and others will follow. If you are just a reseller, um, you you... You can be more dynamic and just shift depend, and you can be more aggressive on how you position against the, the, your your peers. Um, and then the structure is less important, and you can can take another way of optimizing your 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 pricing. Um, uh, but you have a lot of limitations instead. Um, um, so you, other you're, limitations. you're highlighting is an example here where one of the, when you are. Mm-hmm almost like a, the reference price in, or you become part of setting the reference price for, for an for, industry. Yes. If you're number one or two, uh, uh, that's part of your job is to to, to, to um, have a solid structure in, in your offering that makes sense for the industry. And then, of course, it's competitive and you will be challenged uh, always. I, 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 just as a... Uh, did you follow and analyze or in any way have uh, uh, comments... Uh, on the uh, pricing behavior of Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. an interesting one. And they took so much shit yes. uh, from, from the industry. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, yeah. what, what do you think yeah. About, yeah. about, you know, so the background is that they, uh, you dropped. know, they dropped prices in a way that in the end puts anyone who has uh, secondary stock in, yeah. you know, completely. And everybody says, oh, I mean, like, how can we now understand a Tesla price with, when this is happening? Yeah. So um, Elon does a lot of things right, but maybe not everything. <laughs> and uh, well, maybe this was right. I mean, like pull, I mean, like yeah, I've heard yeah. both sides yeah, of the story. Yeah, you yeah. Know, experts defending him and yeah. the expert yeah. shutting yeah. him down. But I would, I would, if you know the power of pricing, yes, and you know every percentage of decrease of your price, how much more volume do you need to offset that prof- lost profit? Yeah. Then it's very rare that a move like this 
will uh, drive more more profit for the company in the end. I mean, he has a, if he maintain his brand, he has a strong enough brand to not be the one that initiates a price war. And in this case, it's it's likely that he will force others to move in the same direction and then no one wins. Maybe the planet wins. Maybe that's his argument. That, uh, well, like, so, yeah. well, so if you're trying to look in between the lines, why? Mm. What, 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 is the, what is the business forces that, you know, why would he do that? I, the argument would be that he has so much more volume coming in for 2023 in his gigafactories. So he really focuses on maximizing the production. Yeah, but how volume, many cars also- are you planning to buy? But Are you going to buy an extra car just yes, because it's a little bit cheaper? No, no, no. Or he wants no. to use market dominance. I, I, you yeah. know, what, is, what, what is the objective you're achieving? with? The, I mean, like we're talking big drop, mm. 150 CEC, right, on mm. the Model mm. Y. Yeah, yeah. I think, of, of course, he was uh, hoping for volumes and he, he wants, wants to uh, utilize the full capacity of the, uh, of the production lines, but... I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that that's the way to go. I would uh, focus more on selling value and making sure that you m- m- make sh- maintain a decent price level in your industry. And if you're one of the leading players, why would you be the one that pushed the price down? Uh, that that's typically the job for a challenger. He's been a challenger. He comes from a challenger background, so maybe, maybe that's he has a, he has a, a heritage DNA. He has yeah, a, he hasn't lost. He has forgot that. Oh, you're not really a challenger anymore. That could very well be the uh, one one of the the reasons. Mm-hmm. Don't you think also that you know he has spent so much time using AI in their manufacturing yeah. giga factories? They yeah. do have yeah. so the manufacturing cost has dropped significantly. Yeah. Why not keep that for you and your shareholders? Well, because they want to push other players oh, out. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the Amazon way, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's right. It's a super yeah. aggressive mode where you yeah. basically want to stick it I mean, to the car Amazon industry. Amazon puts yeah. a price that yeah. makes them lose money on the deals, yeah. but yeah. it actually push yeah. everyone yeah. Out, yeah. else yeah. out of, yeah. of the business. Yeah. Yeah. And I can even I can even follow him in in relation to you know how pissed off he is with how you know the whole automotive industry is sort of been. Yeah. You know, keeping him at a distance and all yeah. this kind of stuff, yeah. and he, yeah. you know, so he's yeah. a little bit the scorned child that you know is going to stick it. Uh, mm. I, I think it's equally. Mm. I don't care. I just want to stick yeah. it to them. Yeah. To yeah. be really yeah. Yeah. frank. Yeah. Yeah. No, that can very well be uh, very well be the the case. And there are other um, well known um, Swedish brands <laughs> in um, in B to C that yes. is making it very difficult for their competitors to compete and now i'm thinking furniture manufacturers that basically want to Who have could be thinking about that? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that really wants some offerings they 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 tr- uh, try to spread their their offering with the design series and so on to capture a little bit more of premium while they are also offering these uh, very very attractive uh, products so th- there you have one way of almost creating new barriers to enter the market. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, there are. It's an art and a science, and there is no black and white answers. But typically, uh, as 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 a mark market leader, to be the one that initiates uh, a price a site should drop. It's a, uh, almost unheard of. Yes, almost unheard yes, of. Yes, that's that's yes. what makes it a little bit fascinating. Yes, from yes. the outside. Yes, Don't you is. think he's a bit afraid, like Mercedes or others? You know, they do provide electric cars that are similar in functionality and actually potentially more well produced or more beautiful even mm-hmm. and he needs to keep 
But I, do you think, of course, he could then shift, then he's shifting the volume, then he's going from one persona mm. to another persona with another value precision. Wasn't that, like, if mm. I understand correctly, the, the journey or the strategy that Tesla had, you know, they started off with very like high luxury, super sports car, super expensive. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea was that that would finance, you know, going to mass market, the mass yeah. production yeah. in the end. Yeah. And this is the exact route he's taking, yeah. right? Starting high costs, mm-hmm. yeah. small volume, going but, lower cost, mm-hmm. high volume. Yeah. But typically yeah. you do that on different uh, product lines. Yeah, and product not, lines. Not within and the product line to, to shift the product line to you had a premium position and you actually on purpose put the product line yeah. in, a, in a mass market position. We, we typically talk about the value map. Uh, so you have perceived benefits on one axis and you have price on the other axis. And uh, your product portfolio should fit that value map. And where do we want to position our company? What is our strategy? And what offerings do we have on different places on that value equivalence line? And uh, brand will affect where you are. And uh, of course, the quality, the design, the engineering, the service network, many things will affect your positioning on that line but taking one offering that previously were on the line and just lowering that below the line then you're basically giving previous value away so either your competitors have become so much better so my position has changed and i need to respond to that by lowering price or if if every everything else is unchanged you're shifting you're forcing the curve to go down and that's a price war to me yeah Uh, if, no, if, maybe if, it was a price war. I don't. I guess, yeah. I guess that's what is brought on. Anyway, yeah. we, we yeah. leave that rabbit hole. It's interesting. But you know, from the other angle, was that something that you know, when you have your background yeah. and you have things, you know, did you sort of because did I you, go into overanalyze yeah. mode on yeah. stuff that interests yeah. me? Did yeah. this interest you? It didn't interest me, but uh, I must say I did not go all the way in 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 trying to rationalize uh, the decision. It's something you, you react to and you say, what, what's the rationale behind that? But I didn't go down the rabbit hole on and, it. And, th- and then the mm-hmm. point is, I wonder if it was a rational decision or an emotional decision. I, I think he's very, very, I think he is very, very fast. In, uh, and and, and, and uh, that I like. I mean, yes. uh, in our methodology in the new company, Ignice, we, we work with decision intelligence. We can help with pricing and those things. We talk about the importance of tracking the indicators that affect your business, building models to plan and predict and forecast and act on your insights. And, and really, what's the value of the insights if we don't lead to action? Right, but exactly. experiment as well. Right? Uh, yeah, exactly, and test and evaluate and so on. And but act on it in the market window that occurs because you can think about it, but you didn't buy the stock when you should have. You didn't price it right when you should have. Yeah, yeah. So, so you re- really need to act. But if you just shortcut it and you jump to the action <laughs> without uh, the tracking or the modeling or the prediction, then then and you're uh, risky. Then you're a little risky, and uh, sometimes you need to take a few risks, but uh, at that, and maybe that's what have taken him to where he is. But pr- the question is, is that what you need to maintain the position for the coming 15 years? That's another. That's but I think thing. this is a segue mm-hmm. uh, to start talking a bit more about Ignice. Yeah. And um, before we do that, you know, what was the transitioning from Navetti into you were brought up? Yeah. And then from Navetti to how, how did you come about starting? Yeah, sure. Ignace? Sure. So we, 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 um, 
So a little bit the rationale that we even sold was that things were happening in the space, in the pricing space, and it was getting a little bit closer to CRM and still close to ERP. So it's really the the bridge between the two worlds. And um, close to CRM, you have CPQ, configure price quote and things like this. Mm -hmm. So either we needed to extend our offering in in that direction or uh, acquire a company or sell the company. And uh, in, in that boardroom, we came to the conclusion that we have taken it so far in the pricing space and we know that very well. Let's now uh, call quits on, on this journey and hand it over to a new structure where where we can continue to maybe add that layer oh, of capability. So you sold Navetti to? We sold it to Francisco Partners, a US private equity, uh, as an add-on investment uh, to one of our, in thus, um, our competitors in the space, uh, a US-based company uh, called Vendor. So they, was, they were building a pricing portfolio you could say in some ways uh, yeah they, they were modernizing their own capabilities uh, and our technology f- filled the space and they strengthened their position in in europe uh, so so uh, after that i joined joined the um, joined that organization helped them with the integration of the technology and so on to really make sure that they had the opportunity to take our value proposition to the north american market and we could broaden our offering in Europe. Uh, and then two years in, uh, once that integration process was completed, me and Styrbjörn, who were the uh, founder of Navetti, basically said there is an opportunity in the market space to do more of the data that has been collected. So we have seen how the availability of information were growing within the organization we helped. So global blue ship companies, mainly B2B uh, why are they not leveraging this more? So then we, we basically uh, started Ignice with focus on decision intelligence, support of AI and machine learning to take um, more profitable decisions with speed. Still uh, thinking about commercial performance and instead of in the, in the price waterfall or in the P&L, just focusing on price, let's now look broader on the P&L. How can we get data-driven insights to optimize that uh, profit and loss? Uh, so that, that, that was how we started. And the challenges we saw, and here it will be interesting to hear your perspectives um, based on the other discussions you have had. We basically saw that the front runners, when it comes to adapting AI and, and really data-driven innovations, are seeing fabulous results. On the bottom line, they are more effective and they are generating um, leading levels of profitability. But the tail is very, very long. Yes. So there is a long, long tail of organizations that are chal- having him challenging with adoption. Now we have talked about the AI divide to death. You know. Yes. So you can have, you can even argue that how how big is the long tail versus the real profitable, the, the top ten yeah. big giants and the digital natives that know what they're yes. doing. Yes. They, they have figured this out. Yeah. The long tail is the rest. Yes. And, and then we said, we, we need to be able to find a way to scale this into that long, long tail. And, and uh, the challenges that we identified was you need talent uh, and there is a shortfall of talent. So how can you get more out of your experts? And um, uh, once you get them on board, when you get them into your team or through your partner, how can you make sure that the the what they identify, those insights that they identify, actually get to the people that can take decisions. So that was the second challenge. You need the talent, okay, now we know that. 
And then basically we need to be able to get out of the lab environment. We feel that there is a lot of testing. There is a lot of good intentions. And you model, you test, you POC, you pilot. But what happens? Prototype graveyard. (laughs) (laughs) We've been doing this for long. (laughs) No, but it's it's a prototype graveyard is real. Yeah. So how do you get out of the lab environment? So that's the second challenge. How do you operationalize this? So that's uh, challenge number two. And then challenge number three, we think, is that to, to get out of the lab environment, you need to think about an operational solution that supports your business processes and that you avoid a whisper game between the people that knows technology and the people that knows business. So how can they speak the same language? How do you translate this? If I'm a business owner, I'm a PL owner, I'm a business owner, maybe at a central or local organization. I don't want to look at uh, Python code in a notebook. Um, the data scientist might love that interface, but it's not fit for purpose for the one that should take business decisions. So here we need to be able to translate those findings into an interface that fits the people that will, will take business decisions. So that's, that, this is basically what our platform does. First, we make sure that we track internal indicators, internal data. So this is traditional things that you would have in, in any BI system. But we then so so that's good. But with only that, there is a risk that we continue to back into the future. We're looking at what's already happened, and we're doing forensics on the past. Okay, why are we not meeting budget? And we're we're a little bit behind here. Blah 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 blah. But you just talk about deviations. We want to shift perspective to be forward oriented. But then we cannot only rely on internal data. We also need to rely on external information so that we enrich our data model, but not just for the sake of it, you know, gathering data for the sake of it. Back to the example in the beginning, what sensors do we need? What problem? Well, how do we scientifically want to run faster? Exactly, exactly, exactly. So connect the relevant external information. And uh, here we do a little bit the opposite first. We connect our platform with APIs to gather data. So uh, we are a little bit um, doing this, uh, the same problem, but then we select, then we are selectful and say that for this client, you can 90% of what we have collected, you can, you don't even need to see it. We have it in the platform, but we will provide the macro data, the financial help of your customers, etc. that makes sense for you. So that's a big filtration. So we, let's just move on, move in with the relevant external indicators for you. Can you give some examples of external data or indicators that you move? You uh, I think you mentioned some, but... Yeah, yeah. so, so uh, in the mar- marketplace, just understanding the, the main macro indicators, so GDP development, unemployment right. rate, um, uh, currency effects, currency development, minerals, what is hem- happening with raw materials and things like this. Um, population development, many of these macro indicators. Now we're getting a, a 365 big, big view. Sometimes, for example, the min- and, and um, general inflation numbers, things like this, right. uh, salary development, and, and so on. Uh, sometimes these indicators are helpful to understand um, order intake. Sometimes they are very helpful to understand what what is likely to happen with our cogs. What will happen with uh, the price, cost, uh, uh, cost, cost of goods sold? No, uh, yeah. So if you're so a cost of goods sold, goods sold. Mm-hmm. So if you're a, term. yeah, if you're a, if you're a manufacturing company, 
and it's a lot of steel and copper and things like this, uh, it will have a direct impact on, on your purchase prices. But often with the lag, so if you instead of waiting until you see the invoices coming in from your sub-suppliers at X percent higher, uh, let's try to be prepared and understand what, what's likely to uh, hit you, us. You can see the drivers. If I take the mm. example of Scania that I've been working for a yeah. long time, I mean, like even Scania's sales of trucks is an indicator, macro yeah. indicator for recession. Uh, or, or, yeah, you know, yeah. When, like when, when order intake goes down. When order intake goes down in, in some of those industrial products, yeah. that is good indicators for an economy slowing down, as yeah. an example. Yeah, yeah. So this, these macro indicators exist for yes. sure. Yes, yes. So, th- th- so those are some on, examples. So, so then, yeah, being prepared with that. Yeah. yeah. So that now we are tracking internal and external metrics. We're tracking what affects our business performance. And then we can start to plan, predict and forecast. And uh, in some cases, machine learning will be a, a big part of the toolbox there. And in other cases, more simplistic approaches will be good enough. Right. So now we have a forward-oriented view. So instead of backing into the future, we're saying, what's likely to happen? How do we plan for the next coming X number of quarters? So how do you combine the internal, external, and all the indicators to be some kind of forecast that you can make? Yeah, so so that... Uh, should be technical. Yeah, a little bit, uh, we can be a little bit technical. Please. So basically, we look at time series. So we look at time series of the target that we're trying to predict. Right. So how have the order intake developed? How have the COGS developed? And that can be very granular or it can be on a higher level. So now we know, now we have a time series of our target and then we reserve a part of that time series for training um, if we take the machine learning process and we reserve another part for validation and then we predict going forward. And then we, we add indicators to this. And this is where you need to be mindful. So you just not, um, I mean, there will be correlation, but sometimes that's very uh, casual. You can take this example. We're selling a lot of ice cream and people drown. Okay, yeah, right. so what's, what's, what's cause and effect here? Or the sun shining and the yeah. sales price of, of or yeah. intake of yeah. ice cream or something. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So, so you need to be a little bit mindful when you select these indicators. Yes. But that's what we're going to do. And then we, we prepare the relevant indicators with different uh, rolling averages, deltas, etc. So we have now we have what we want to use for our prediction. We have the historical development, we have internal and external indicators, and they have been modified. And then we run through multiple machine learning methods. Can you and, name some? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can, uh, uh, yes. We, we, I mean, uh, it could be random forest. Um, it, it could be ARIMA. It can be traditional um, uh, linear or multivariable um, regression. So it, uh, here, here we are not the innovators. Here we basically use best practice methods right. that are available from the different cloud providers. But we have mapped out uh, a big portfolio of methods. So our I would say expertise is to operationalize this mm-hmm. and uh, use it in an industry context right. and making it uh, and present the results so it fits the business user. But we have also done this so, so that if you are a data scientist, you can do it in your notebook environment, what you prefer, or if we want to lower the entry barrier and you mm-hmm. are just a savvy business analyst, you can follow a guided process in our solution so you don't need to write the line of code for, for some of these prediction scenarios. Yeah. So here you have, in, in a way, 
you understand a low code approach for the business analyst. Yes. But you are not limiting the data scientist to do stuff as well. No, exactly. And then he the data scientist can then leverage our tool instead to be be the way out of the lab. Okay, so uh, if he didn't, um, a data scientist might be able to model the same if he had the external data uh, easily accessible, etc. He could do this, but then he would st- sit with his notebook and he would have a hard time getting this out to the business owners and that that uh, that we can fill. So the proposition for the data scientist is on the one hand side, adding to his inter- internal data sets, external data sets, Correct. and macro indicators, yes. and adding a UX yes. that is helping him to basically present his Python code yeah. for a normal business user. Correct. Correct. And then we have gone from track to predict, plan, scenario, forecast, to act. So what track, is act? Uh, so act is now to take action on this. Yeah, and uh, how, how is that personified in the system? Or what, what, you know, how do we act on insights? Yeah, so we have three three layers in the platform uh, that goes into this flywheel, if you will. So it's not the one time; it should go. Yes, keep on going. Track, predict, act. Pre- track, predict, act. Yes, it's a flywheel, and in in act, it can be a hard link between an insight, the model, and an action, or it can be a soft uh, link. Explain this. Uh, so, so a hard link would be: I, I see, I see this trend, and I want to, f- I want to affect this specific outcome with an action. So, uh, our prices are too low. I want to increase the price. Or we see that this market is underperforming, or whatever. It is it's very direct, very concrete action directly linked to a model, so and linked to an, an algorithm. Very, very, very concrete. Other can be uh, slightly softer. So we have three scenarios on our order intake and um, we see, see a slowdown in this region. Okay, so we need, we need a strategic initiative to address this and work through certain things with the organization, maybe shifting production capacities or other things. Now it's, it's not as closely linked model and action, but you would then basically in our platform set up uh, a business case for this initiative. What is the overall objective? What is the status? Are we on time, on target, on budget with this initiative? What is a high-level Gantt chart? What, who needs to do what when? So then it becomes uh, a way of keeping everything in one place. We're tracking the indicators, we model, and we don't stop at the model and say, someone needs to do this. We're saying, okay, we're going to actually note that down here, that we need to run these five initiatives based on our insights, really to close the loop. So you could say that, okay, you, you, could, you could in your infrastructure say that you, we need these different building blocks and they are spread in our technical landscape. It's very difficult to get an overview. Or you can use a, use a platform like ours to get all those building blocks in one place. Very easy to get an overview of what's going so on. So besides you know, tracking and predicting and um, you know, supporting some act, you also have some... Could you call it um, almost like a project management tool? C- correct. There is elements of that in there. And uh, correct. But let me dissect this a little bit. Mm. Um, I think w- one of the key things, l- let me frame this as a theme even, yeah. because we, we were discussing before the podcast mm. uh, that we are trying to even, when we talk about with different guests, go moving into having even sort of an, overarching idea yep. that, that we're sort of uh, circling around in some ways. 
And my my proposal for, for was user adoption. Yeah. So let let me frame it uh, in in such a way that okay, you have this great tool now. Yeah. And uh, one argument is that any type of technology or tool yeah. uh, that has the capability of doing yeah. all these cool things yeah. uh, falls flat if it doesn't gets indop- embedded in the yeah. in the workload and adopted by the right users. Correct. So let's start there. So because what you're describing mm-hmm. now to me. It's a plethora of user personas who mm-hmm. could potentially benefit from yeah. this. So who who is yeah. the sort of yeah. main user yeah. persona if we yeah. start there? Yeah. So it's a cross-functional platform. It can be used cross-functionally, um, but you can take it on a journey like use case per use case. What is the use case we want to solve? Yeah. So either it becomes a, a, a tool set for, if you have a very modern CFO yeah. that is sitting on the edge of the share, <laughs> wanting to be a partner. A business navigator rather than an accountant. Exactly. If uh, That type of CFO that want to be a partner to, with the PL owners and the business owners, this type of platform would be very, very valuable to him. So, so then basically a, a key sponsor could be a, a business navigator oriented CFO, CFO who are understanding now how to be a partner to the PL owner. Correct. And therefore he needs then a team that is looking forward and not only Backwards. in the rear view mirror. That, that's very well said. Uh, and it can also be the business owner himself. So a CEO yeah. or or someone uh, further down in the organization that have PL responsibility and wants a forward view on his business. Um, if we take a sales and operational planning pro- process, then it would be who's responsible for sales and operational planning. So, so typically a sales director or mm-hmm. and the sales team leads yeah. who then ultimately need to resource allocate the quota in a region according yeah. to, yeah. to a certain product portfolio. Correctly, and and if uh, either to just measure forecasting and understand, uh, basically then we be, become a smart layer on top of the pipeline, yeah, and provide insights on win rates and where to focus and, and things like this. Uh, so that's clear. Uh, and then, of course, we can, in a, in a manufacturing context, we could uh, uh, help them with their, uh, doesn't need to be manufacturing context, but that's basically where where we have spent a lot of the time, uh, me and Stubian over the years, uh, with the commercial optimization, pricing, basically understanding the waterfall yeah. and doing analytics a- across the waterfall. But it's, and then it's, it's a different uh, business owner. I, and this is interesting. I, I have the experience talking about this in Ericsson and now in a little bit mm. in Scania. And we have this notion about profitability. Yes. And then and then very fast you realize where you are in the company when you find the you know, the intersect are, are we are we talking product contribution? Or are we yeah. talking customer and yes. segment contribution, yes. market yes. contribution? Yes. Yes. And all of a sudden now we have a profitability analysis and we really want to understand it from a customer point of view. Yes. Or we have an SKU view mm-hmm. from the product guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is interesting, right? Yeah, but uh, you should, with the right, as we said, how do we want to measure our transactions? If we go down to that granular level, yes. If you collect, if you have the right sensors, yeah, and you collect the this, the right information all the way down to that transactional data, you should be able to just turn that cube around and see it from a customer perspective and see it from a product uh, yeah. perspective. You wish, because ultimately, in reality, there's different political f- uh, <laughs> yeah. or different parts of the organization who worries about the different things when they should yeah. have, of course, they should have viewed it as a cube. That yes. would be the ultimate, of course. Yes. But it, there's 
activities and initiatives over here, yeah. and there are other initiatives yeah. over yeah. here. Yeah. 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 Or yeah, yeah, no, that's that's the 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 thing. I I I love when an organization are proud of the logo they have on their chest yeah. and think, what can we do as an organization to be winning? Yeah. Uh, and how can we team up I cross-functionally like to, to get there? Yeah. And then basically you need to feel ownership of, of your responsibility and, and act there, but you need to also find ways to collaborate. But, it, but because the, the real magic is in the cube, isn't it? It I is. Mean, like, because it is. If, if you're not being able to switch between the customer dimension and the product dimension, you're really not seeing the whole picture. You're not. You're not. And if, um, no, you're not. Uh, and of course you should, the customer is the best guide you can have. The rest is just, how do we serve them best? So customer uh, profitability is more important than product profitability if I need to push you on that one. Uh, yes. Okay. I like that. Mm. In my good book. <laughs> Yeah, two oh, okay, mm. two uh, people of similar minds. Very <laughs> I will have an after after work to talk about. <laughs> but perhaps you know you've been speaking a lot about decision intelligence, right? Yeah. And and that's something that Ignace is, is focusing a lot of. Yeah. yeah. If you were to try to just differentiate, you know, decision intelligence to traditional yeah. AI, I guess. Yeah. 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 What would you say the differences are? Yeah, yeah. So, um, good question. And I, I would say decision intelligence is really the step taking BI forward. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, business intelligence traditionally have been a lot about the rare mirror approach. Right, looking backwards. Yes. Looking backwards, looking at what has already happened. So now with decision intelligence, we want to we want to shift that perspective mm. to be more for, forward oriented. That's the first big difference. Yeah. And the second big difference is that we want it to lead to an action, mm. a decision. We should do something about it. It's not just that, okay, we have a nice insight here. We see something going on, but how do we take that to, to, an, to an action, yeah. to a decision that can drive a business result in the end? So and going from more descriptive kind of um, statistics or, or insights to more predictive and yeah, and or, actionable or even yeah prescriptive even perhaps. yeah that's that's the we're not there fully but that's the ambition to go go forward uh, absolutely actually mm -hmm. I used used to put a, a tetra pack yeah. uh, there is uh, Alberto Barroso is leading a team of. Mm -hmm. They were used to call data scientists, but they, they really went all the way and, and talk about the decision science. Yeah. And we had Rasmus Thunberg uh, mm -hmm. on the pod here uh, a couple him. of seasons back. Yeah. You, you met Rasmus? Yeah. yeah. And I think that I think Rasmus says it well, right? Because it's it's one thing to model a prediction, but in order to get to full usage and to really understand how it's going to help business, mm -hmm. it's still even if you have an insight, okay, what mm. are my options in deciding on what to do? Mm. And even if you want to bring this even down to a, like, let's go sales analytics or mm -hmm. something like this, yeah. and then you want to take it all the way to the salesperson, right? Yes. Now to really model the decision or it, it's, it's mm. like, okay, we, we have an analytical model and now you need to have a decision model yes. as well, right? Yes. It's, yes. it's not yes. completely yes. the same here. Could, no. could we elaborate on this? Yeah. Uh, so I, I would say when it comes to sales, um, uh, pricing and sales, so um, we can go, we can go back to my, 
<laughs> my Navetti days. So we talk about the price waterfall and um, what is the price waterfall? The price waterfall is to go from that reference where it's all about setting an, an optimum structure of your product portfolio and your offerings, and then taking that out often in a global context. Yeah. So many of the clients are operating in 100 plus countries. Yeah. How can we be relevant in all of these markets, in all of these currencies? And how do we adapt it to different multiple verticals? And then we should do selling, right? Now we have gone from the reference. We often talk about this first half of the waterfall as uh, price setting. Mm-hmm. So now we're optimizing our positioning. Now we need to capture value in the end. Maybe it's um, not the best word uh, always, but now we need to uh, make the customer get the value of our product, so they they better uh, they better buy in the end. Yeah, and so, here, so the reference price set wrong makes it really hard to sell if it's the, yeah, too high. Yes, uh, and if it's fragmented, then it, if it's uh, have a poor structure, so offerings are both over and underpriced. Uh, you need. A star salesperson to navigate and compensate if if the reference is poor. If the reference is good, we can start to guide the sales force. And 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 here, uh, looking at, uh, we we often talk about stretch target floor bands. So based on the be- transactional behavior, so look at it as a normal distribution more or less. Uh, so now we're in one segment of customers similar customers in a certain market, in a certain vertical. What distribution do we have of our net pricing in this cluster? And what are the best performing deals? On what level are the best performing deals operating? So let's not now follow a mean or follow an average. Let's follow the top of that distribution. Let's look at the best performers and have that as the stretch recommendation to sales. And then we we have a, a... a stretch target and a floor. And off and, and it's also very frustrating for sales to go for ask for approval all the time. You know, uh, can I sell at this level or do I need to go and ask for approval? If this guidance is set right, it's very rare that they should be able to be forced to go under the floor because the floor is going to be different per segment and per offering and so on. So this band is going to going to vary like this. And that's rare in a traditional CRM setup. You're going to set your floor, and that's going to be the same same floors across uh, several customer categories. And then you get a slower process. You need to ask for approval when it's not relevant and so on. So let's go in with relevant stretch target floor bands that are anchored in data insights and your 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 models. And then track perform. Then you then you close the loop and you track performance. Are we winning? Are we losing? Do we need to shift these bands? So it becomes dynamic and a learning loop into this. But there you can be very descriptive in what you recommend to sales. Uh, And if it's, I mean, in an e-commerce setting and more of, of customers that want to drive the buying journey themselves, the right offering can appear in an e-commerce setting. And we, then you pick the the, the stretch or the target for that segment and you automate this process. You speak about mm. segments now and I, I'd like to ask mm. a question and I, I I can provide a small anecdote first yes. just to yes. set the, the the context here a bit and, and I was uh, at a conference it was I think Rex's conference uh, of 2015-16 something yep. and we had a PhD student that was there. He was Chinese. He was very scared and nervous and he wasn't really comfortable speaking English. And he sp- 
spoke about personalized pricing. Yep. So he had made an, this kind of awesome model. He can show that, you know, if they in their simulated environment had this kind of personalized pricing for each customer, then I'm speaking end user customers, yes. uh, set the price in a certain way they can gain, you know, X number of, you know, profits. Yep. And, and he spoke about that uh, for half an hour. And then afterwards, you know, he asked for questions. And, and then a senior data scientist from Amazon stood up yeah. and he said, this is a load of crap. <laughs> this is something that we would never use at Amazon. This is a horrible idea. We would never do personalized mm. pricing because that would undermine the trust that we have at, uh, at our mm. customers or something. Mm. And I could see this PhD student still being super nervous, oh. just sank like under the floor or something, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. and having this kind of senior person from yeah. Amazon completely destroying his yeah. whole work. Yeah. was really, uh, I felt so sad for that person. Yeah. Anyway, that's yeah. the, the uh, what do you think about having personalized pricing, yeah. being like end user personalized pricing? Yeah, but in, in one way, if we, uh, we, can, we can circle around this topic a little bit, it's, yeah. uh, it's an interesting topic. But if we start at uh, price differentiation, that you're used to paying very different things mm. for the same product, depending on the context. Mm. So you, if we take this beer, if you if you buy, I would buy, be angry if uh, Henrik gets the beer cheaper than me. Right? <laughs> oh, I, I, I will <laughs> because you you pay. Uh, you know, it depends on which bar we go to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if if we talk about context first, and okay. then we can come to the sensitive topic that is different price at the same location at the same time, yeah. just because my. Um, Whatever reason, you know. Oh, we know. We we have an after after work prices for ladies in this bar. So so at the, at different places we we are used to mm. paying different prices for the same product. That we that we have understood yes. for fifty years. And an example <laughs> so. is that you go to a fancy bar and then you pay more for your beer and then you go yeah, to a cheaper yeah, bar yeah. and you pay less yeah. for your beer. And uh, we are also used to paying different prices for uh, different times of the day. Right. We're also used to paying different prices if I order the same if I buy, if I check into the same hotel, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, depending on when I booked, it will be different price. Depending on the utilization, uh, what and booking go to SC or SC, SC. Or so, so there are many dimensions we are used to this. Yes. So I would say that that PhD guy is not completely out of the blue when he's saying if we personalize pricing in a context right. that makes sense for the customer, we should be able to differentiate. Yes. But it becomes... The context uh, is the key word The here. context is the key word. What have we done differently for that customer versus the other customer that justify this differentiation? What if you add the gender as a part of... Um Mm. the context is yeah. that okay uh, no I, th- I think there are many dimensions here where you uh, can get very bad press if you not manage this well yeah. and it can ruin your brand if yes. you are so this is naive. Amazon's guy that, has, that, has that, a point he has a very he has a very strong point but I think personalizing offerings we're going to see that mm. it's going to go in this direction that yes. we try to be relevant for different audiences in different ways but uh, and loyalty programs have been used in this right. context. It's also for, personalizing it. It's also p- personalizing it. So, and and some campaigns are made available to certain audiences. It's not it's not strange that you lo- listen to a podcast like this and you offer a discount code 
for that audience. Or, or, or we we spend way spend way too much money at stadium for the kids' sports equipment, yeah. and then once in a while we get oh tonight you can order you can have this discount code yeah. only yeah. for your family yeah. Yeah. because you're such a great customer. Of yeah. course, that's yeah. personal. So, Black so, Friday, so cyber, cyber Monday, Cyber Monday. Yeah, but but but, 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 but yeah. this for this stadium is giving my family a specific it, percentage. Yeah, yeah. That's so, so I think it's a different thing than if you add truly like. Uh, attributes of a person that you can't really change. No, no. You can't change the gender. You can't change the age. You yeah. can't change the profession. But, uh, age, age. We're also used to that. Yeah. Uh, if you go Pensionary to uh, exactly, so there, mm. that we have accepted somehow. Mm. Uh, so, so uh, I agree. This is a sensitive topic, and you need to do. You need to really think through what you're doing when you do this type of right. personalization. But there are many ways that you can maybe also tweak your offering so it suits different uh, groups you get something slightly different um and and by that adapting your commercial positioning but yeah so 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 individualized pricing is interesting right it's mm-hmm. not only about the price point per se it's what the bundle includes yes. that's what you highlight yes now. that that can open a lot of doors where you can explain but i mentioned earlier you need to be able to explain and defend your right. positioning and if you cannot explain and defend it you lose credibility, you put risks on your brand. Um, so if you have like a transparent kind of description or explanation for what the price is based on, that would be... Either you, you, you spell it out or it needs to be somehow contextually uh, evident. Um, but mm-hmm. what I think you're saying, when what, does it make sense to the consumer he will accept it if it doesn't really make sense and you're making yeah. profit out of this yeah. this is where you're in in, in, in shady risk, area. you're in, in the risk area, area. Yeah. but it, but but so so explaining means does this make sense yeah. well yeah. it makes sense that we have low uh, turnaround or mm-hmm. with low demand in a cafe shop in in the morning but high demand you know so if you need yeah. to validate that and yeah. i think you validate it then on an on the context that is outside the mm. individual. So individual mm. get the personalized mm. pricing, but it's mm. on a context that is that, wider that, than the that, individual. Yes, yes. And then there are also, I mean, we need to also point out that there are also legal constraints. So yeah. if you have a dominant position, um, you, you don't have the, you, you cannot price discriminate. Yes. So so there are, there are those elements too. But here I think it's more principles we're discussing, what what's fair for, for, for a consumer. I think if you just compare it to like uh, music recommendations or Netflix movie mm-hmm. recommendations or something, they are, you know, extremely personalized, you know. Yeah. Yeah. If two people, even though they are a similar age, profession and background, they yeah. will get different recommendations. But yeah. if you do the same for buying a beer or a book or mm-hmm. a trip to Gran Canaria, that I don't think would fly as well, right? Uh, no, no, that's uh, that's when people get uh, think it's more sensitive. But I, I still believe that more personalization, we're going to see more personalization. And some are going to do it well and others are going to, uh, do it poorly and they might lose trust along the way right. so the it's that context i think is important can mm. can we move into a little bit different topic i want to go uh, no <laughs> is it okay? have we f- yeah. have we yeah. have we yeah. finished i, 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 like, I think that was a very good one as this was an mm. awesome one but uh, is it sort of sure. it's done Absolutely. is it mm. done okay okay um I've been in a very interesting uh, discussion lately uh, uh, happening from a LinkedIn thread with the with the CEO 
of Membrane, yeah. George Brontean. Is it someone you know? No, I don't know him, no. Okay. And he made a really, really good, cool article, basically highlighting, you know, what are the challenges within the, within the sales tech stack and, you know, how, you know, the, mm. the challenges we get into when we, are, you know, you could go down the monolithic way with everything is in, you know, one of the big CRMs no, and use no, packet, packet, no, packet, no, no, no. or you, you know, and he was very much referring to the sort of classical startup scale up where they have a lot of money. No. So they're getting all these tools and all that. No, no. And you're getting into the, he called it, I think the Hydra, <laughs> you know, yeah. heads popping up. So I want to explore a little bit about, um, what is the best type of technology stack and how to think about mm. data connecting Ignice, mm. working with, you know, the mm. platforms, mm. E everybody's mm. the platform, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was a little bit triggered by yeah. that uh, conversation and the way I think I framed it for you is sort of understanding, you know, what's the technology stack yeah. for yeah. you guys yeah. and yeah. how yeah. to think yeah. connecting it to a, a, a broader data yeah. strategy yeah. and yeah. stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Good. How um, to think. Good. You good. see what I mean, right? Yeah, I see, I see what you mean. So, so for First of all, we, we're um, we're still a Microsoft house, and yeah. uh, to a big extent, uh, due to the B two B environment where where we tend to play. Uh, so Azure, it's basically the platform is is uh, leveraging so your sauce that. Is, your Azure oriented sauce. Yes, yes, that's. But uh, it doesn't matter because you, as a sauce, can connect to anything. Yeah, yeah, multi cloud. I mean, uh, most of the organizations now are still multi cloud. You will see uh, several of the providers in the IT infrastructure within our clients, but we we leverage the, the Azure stack, uh, and then. It's also this, it's a little bit of a fatigue uh, in, in, in the organizations and the users with all the tools. So I, there is a theme of this headless solutions also that uh, you deliver values into existing uh, graphical interfaces. We have not gone that route uh, fully. I mean, we have our uh, graphical interface, but we can feed the insights into you mean like an API, so. an API, and yeah. so so if this stretch target floor bands uh, or uh, this uh, guidance for a sales individual, we we want to leverage the CRM. Then of course you share that data into the interface where they spend their day, uh, and. And Do you that, see a trend here, even? Uh, yeah, uh, there is a, there is a, a trend of a little bit of a fatigue in the too many different too many different tools too many different flipping flipping tools so how how do you make sure that you leverage the infrastructure that is already there to drive your value um there there is, there is a theme there there is a, a, a trend and, there. and, and let's, mm -hmm. if if i connect that sort of technology yeah. trend into what i think is the underlying user adoption yeah. fundamental question. In the end, we want to be useful to whoever is the user persona and their workflow. Yeah, yeah. And we want to fit seamlessly so they can really make their actions yeah. and decisions. That's yeah. what we said, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think that's the thing, like how do I create the best user experience? Yeah. Yeah. And everybody's, look, if you look at it from every niche problem, yeah. well, it looks like this. But if mm. I look at the daily job of a sales director, of a daily yeah. job, yeah. of a daily, yeah. Yeah. daily... They the, don't need another tool. Uh, and that's why also... They need the, another widget, maybe. Yes. They, they need yes. it. They, yes. need, they, need, yes. they need the technology and the insight, but yes. how to serve it. Yes. And that's that's why these ecosystems like Salesforce get very strong, 
Because then they have a, a big use, user base. And if you can serve up with new widgets in that infrastructure, uh, you build up even stronger loyalty in, that in, 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 in those communities. And of so, course, but are you an ISV within the dynamics, Microsoft? Yeah, uh, we are not. We are not. Uh, we are not that formally. Uh, but, but we should. We, we, we should potentially. Yes, that would yes, be a great idea. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, one, one more uh, per- perspective in 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 this headless trend. Uh, I still think there is a purpose to be able to open that box and kind of explain to a, a smaller team of in the, smaller team of users you will have the big user group um, accessing your insights through other interfaces but it's important to be able to open the books and explain what's going on if this headless service just runs uh, in the cloud infrastructure as a very closed black box it will be difficult to get acceptance of the recommendations. Yeah. I'm laughing a bit here because I remember a lot of old Peltorium kind of discussions here. But it's the I same, right? I agree a lot to what you say here. So yeah. yeah. Uh, but l- yeah. let me now go into the back end of this story um, mm-hmm. because I think, um, and I uh, l- let's go back five to 10 years mm-hmm. and people wanted mm-hmm. to build up the, a 360 view of the customer yep. in their CRM. Yeah. Yep. Classic, right? And of course, they then realized they might need widgets or they might need very other, a lot of different important data. If you go into the uh, CPQ area, you're hardcore down into the product uh, domain. And if I go in with my Scania hat on, we're in completely different systems now, by the way. So here we then started, CRM is going to be the platform 360. And we started Mm. to do all this point to point. Uh, you know, yeah. building spaghetti yeah. into yeah. into yeah. the front yeah. end tool, yeah. Yeah. and where I think we're mm. at right now with the more the ones who are really starting to understand platform, we are starting to build a, a real data backbone of some yeah. kind, yeah. and it can be headless, it can be yeah. microservices, but it can yeah. also be data products with yeah. data sets yeah. or algorithms, yeah. Yeah. and then we are thinking carefully about some sort of front end strategy, or yeah. I, I would call it multi, I mean, like yeah. The, yeah. one where it would be multi front end that yeah. we have one user experience for the user persona, mm-hmm. but he's actually looking at different widgets and he yeah. shouldn't care which widget is Dynamics, which no. one is Ignice, no. or which one no. is a microservice built in yes. internally. Yes. Do yes. you believe, is, is I, I, this I think, I is think this, this microservice um, thinking. topic thinking uh, with clear inputs, outputs, I think it's a very good strategy, both when you build uh, a platform or a product, I'm like w- when we build ours, uh, and when you take it from a multi-vendor perspective. Yeah, so modularization is what really what I'm talking about yeah, here. No yeah. one can be the perfect. No, no. because uh, otherwise uh, maintaining the infrastructure becomes very costly and difficult and f- slow. Yeah. Um, so, so there is some sort of pattern here where you're starting mm. building some sort of, this is your data backbone, your algorithm backbone, and it, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, you might be even doing even more fancy stuff. And then you have a strategic multi, you know, you have a multi, you have, you have an experience, which is end to end for a user persona, yeah. but if they're looking at the, uh, a, 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 a SaaS solution from Ignice yeah. or a microservice built in-house, he shouldn't yeah. care about. No. And and if you try now to do mm-hmm. everything, you know, uh, spaghetti into Salesforce or spaghetti yeah. into Dynamics, yeah. I I think that is a bad idea. It's a bad idea. Agree. And but it's still quite prevalent. Or 
Or are we moving out of that? Have we figured that lesson out? No, I mean, uh, it's funny that you mentioned the spaghetti. I mean, when we went from from, uh, generation uh, three to four at Navetti days, I mean, basically that was one of the the, the pictures we put up. (laughs) Now I'm revealing a lot of Asian secrets here. But But when we open the... (laughs) When you open the hood of the engine, we have messy connectors. We need to clean this up. If we should be able to add capabilities and have a more flexible uh, architecture, we need to clean this up. And that that was really what what we we did with the generational shift from from on, from three to four within our technology. And a little bit the same with our integration layer. We went away from that point to point connection with the, uh, communicating with the, uh, different hubs. Of, uh, if, if we put it that way. Yeah, but it, it, and so can we? Do we think this is the trend, or how you know? Mm. Because in one way, when you come in with the technology, yeah. sales technology, yeah. some people really need advice yeah. on this: yeah. how to think about connecting to your tool. I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, integration is important, uh, but I think there is also a flip side of this. What, what um, that is. Um, uh, if we take the data lake uh, theme yeah. uh, where there is so many flat files and we just want cheap storage, etc., So then, then it's not so structured always. It's, uh, it's more about storing a lot of data and then bringing up what you need. So that and, also, and this is a distance from flat file raw data swimming around yeah. to what you need to feed into your, there's a gap here. There is a gap there. And then there is a risk that you, you might start to uh, say, we don't want a heavy integrational project. Uh, there can be some hesitance to go into that. And instead, you start to share these flat files, uh, which are um, in nature batch-oriented. And so on. So there is there is uh, two trends at the same time going on. I like that. Now that you go into technical details here. And mm. yeah, I, was, I was trying it. to help that's, you. I yes, was trying to awesome. help you. But I think if I'm not mistaken, yeah. I think you mentioned the different kind of layers of data formats, like the brown, yeah. silver and gold yeah. yes. layers, etc. Yes. 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 I think it's called, uh, what did we call it, uh, medallion architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, can you just uh, think or d- describe a bit more? What do you yeah. mean with bronze, silver, and yeah. gold? Layers? It's preparing it, preparing the data for the machine learning processes. Mm-hmm. Bring it in in its uh, raw format, and yes. then uh, preparing it for different types of of analytics. So the raw it, format is a- the raw format would be bronze, yeah. and silver format would be something that we can use for valuable uh, presentations and illustrations in track. Mm-hmm. And gold would be the format it needs to be structured to support that training process and the output of that. That's really a nice way of putting it, I think, in in a rhetoric that is not so techy. Yeah, yeah. I like it a lot. I mean, I think that's, you know, how to just, you know, build up the architecture of whatever data lake or lake house or warehouse you have. Or mesh. Or data mesh. (laughs) Should we go there? (laughs) No, no. I I was actually going there (laughs) indirectly. Yeah. Um, But I think it's interesting. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people or companies need help in understanding, you know, how to simply build data pipelines that go through this different layers if you call yes, it that. Yes, so. yes. Yeah, and and we we really focus on the data, internal data that we need to serve mm. these predictive process. Mm. So uh, and that can be wide and it can be more narrow depending on depending on the use case. But we we don't try to compete with the, uh, the cloud um, yeah. providers that have that as their core business. We want to leverage it. Yes. 
because you're mm-hmm. building on the Azure Lake, I guess. Yes, well. we're building on the uh, on the Azure infrastructure, and it can be both lake. It can also at times um, it, at times it's also data, data traditional data warehousing. That we maybe data maybe from. lift the hood on how Ignite yeah. is actually built. What's the coding language? Let's let's, yeah. let's not go too too <laughs> deep. Then I need my my technical team with oh, me. I was getting excited. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, no, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm an, of course. But it, but okay. Let's not go all the way there, but the way you have leveraged Azure yeah. Stack yeah. is, in, and that's so now I'm into the inner workings of Ignite. Yes, is, is yes. this some sort of microservice idea? Yeah. Uh, so yes, we 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 work with microservices when we build capabilities in the platform. At least yeah. that well, that's what I ordering from my technical team <laughs> and what I what, what what I what I wish for and and. Uh, um, at times so you've been trying to keep it a modular approach approach to, yes. you know yes. in yes. how you can make comp- how you don't end up yes. Uh, yes. learning and from Navetti yes. of course yes yes that's the that's you the principle that once, right? we learned that uh, once or twice twice <laughs> yeah like learned all of us once. like all of us yeah yeah we thought we did it modular enough yeah. and then, no we yeah. did not this time no. either no no so that that's um, that's really yeah that's that's important, and um, yeah, I think we have a good architect that kind of think um, thinking long term, and we want to make sure that we don't. At times, you need to take one round back, and uh, I mean, what you want to avoid is complete modernization. You want to be able to grow gradually and 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 with pay, with good pace. But if you would very high pace, you're cutting the wrong corners. And that's what we try to police now yeah. is that uh, velocity in development cannot challenge uh, long-term scalability. If if that's um, a fair comment. So yeah. can, can we don't we don't go into super detail, but it's really always interesting mm-hmm. to hear, uh, you know, a startup scaler yeah. company. Yeah. What what is the composition of your company in terms of engineers, business, yeah, yeah, domain yeah, expertise? Yeah, yeah. So you know, how how, we, how does Ignite? Yeah. So if we if we think about how we we drive the company from the customer's point of view, so yeah. we we really want to focus on customer needs and and demands and let that be the compass. Now you need sharp domain expertise in yes, this area. Yes, and and that's uh, I mean. Leverage my my own experience and uh, uh, students experience yeah. and kind of a, the business consulting mindset. How do we solve business problems by combining people and technology? That's the foundation for how we drive product development. Then we take that into our technical team, where we have um, and, and and you can see it as a product owner and an architect a little bit in one at this point that converts these business requirements into our roadmap. And then we have uh, the, the engineering team with front-end and back-end development. And uh, there I, I raise my my hand and say that uh, there is a lot of tech talent in Skopje, Macedonia. Yeah. <laughs> let's go, so, let's go, yeah. let's go. Let's yeah. work, let's do this. Yeah, yeah. Goran, so, you need to fix this for him. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah. so that's one part. But, but when it comes to the machine learning element, then it's kind of shifts techno- tech stack and becomes then more uh, the Python Python side that we we rely on. So one one part of your stack is Python-oriented. Yes, yes, yes. And then it's more uh, a combination of uh, traditional back-end and front-end development. Um, Can can we speak about that a bit more? I think it's Mm -hmm. uh, if we go a bit more societal and and just thinking for companies that want to become as technological 
forward as Ignite is, mm-hmm. and they want to build up a team to build a product yeah. or a platform that you have. Yeah. Yeah. Can you think about what would be the different type of team compositions? Yeah. Yeah. The type of competences, yeah. roles yeah. that they would yeah. have. You spoke yeah. about product yeah. owners, architects, yeah. um, back end, yeah. front end engineers, yeah. data scientists. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's your preferred set of yeah. Yeah. composition here? Uh, so yeah, that's a, that's a good. Uh, and it depends also, of course, on the, the size. And early on, you have a couple of more hats on than you would have later on. Yeah. Uh, you start with more unicorn developers and then you can start really getting a critical mm-hmm. mass, <laughs> I guess. That's yes, what you that, that, exactly. You want the Swiss Army knives uh, in the beginning with several skills. But you have to be mm-hmm. if you only have two. <laughs> yeah. no, we're a little bit for. more than that. But, uh, okay, let's talk, uh, let's talk about uh, uh, the structure. So... I think I would like to see close collaboration between product ownership and engineering. Thank you. Uh, I don't want any Chinese walls here in between. Okay. That, that needs really to, it's like sales and marketing. No, we can't have Chinese wall. But it's also between. a yin and yang that needs to, mm. you need both. And you, very seldom you find a guy who can, or girl can, can take do on both. both. No, But they need to work as, as one. As one. But to the discipline of engineering, the yeah. CTO and yeah. the CPO, yeah. Yeah, this yeah, out. Yes, yes. So that's like a, it's an important it's it, not it's an important uh, balance between product ownership and, and engineering. Uh, and uh, and then I think also <laughs> roadmap <laughs> the ownership of roadmap should sit with the the product owner should should own the roadmap and then work with engineering to kind of plan it out. But here, you, um, here's not a committee owning the roadmap. It's the CPO who has the roadmap. Correct. That's that's my that's view. view. Uh, that's my view. And I that like red, red road roadmap should serve the leadership of the organization. I mean, the leadership team needs to set the vision for the organization and where we want to go. And then you need to team up with your product owners to uh, design the roadmap to serve that vision. And then you need to work with with engineering to be able to f- fulfill that vision <laughs> and uh, in, in, that, in that order. And it, it sometimes, I would say, it becomes too... You need to think about your backlog in one way and your roadmap in another way. So the, the, the roadmap should serve your vision and where you want to go with the product offering directionally. And then you have a backlog that is much more granular. And uh, sometimes I feel that there is a little bit disconnect between the two. And um, if product management is more engineering, it's going to be backlog only. Uh, okay, can we go way deep on this topic? Because but, you're but before, you- before we go there, because I think planning is one interesting mm-hmm. topic and, and yep. just to see how we can have innovation happening. Good, yep. in that, topics. But before we... Do Thank that. You. Perhaps we can just go back to the composition of teams. Yep. And, and yep. Thank you. What's your preferred? Or perhaps how do you do that in Ignice? Yeah. What the what are the typ- typical roles that you have in your like engineering teams? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so okay. Uh, so we have the the architect. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the front front end developers. Uh, we have the backend developers, and yeah. we have the data innovators or data scientists that uh, are solving an other uh, purpose. Yeah. So what do you mean, like more like ma- now we're getting into machine learning? Now we're coming into the machine forward. learning, yeah. and and also they also have a stake in how do we need to think when we go from bronze, silver to gold. Ah, right. So uh, the backend developers will kind of execute this and 
prepare this and make sure that uh, the communication between front end and back end is uh, well set up and the architecture back end and engineers are you including like <coughs> engineering in that back end engineer role or is that separate roles on your side I, I would say that data that this is more or less the connection between the data scientist and data engineering so as i said he he should be able to come with the wish list this is how he or i she would should be he or she could be thank you <laughs> uh, should be able to come with that wish list this is how i want the data structure to be able to do most from a, a, a machine learning uh, standpoint so that that's how how we work and it's it's not more complicated that, than that really so front end development back end development and then something separate that is more for the um, data innovation and machine learning let, let me put maybe maybe this is a, a, in in relation to size so this is not relevant yeah. anymore but at some point in time when you start getting into different facets yeah. of the product yeah. you get into the actual value creation yeah. use case yeah. Yeah. owning the yeah. product dimension yeah. yeah. and yeah. all of a sudden you get someone who is more platforms fundamentally serving yeah. like the infra layer yeah. um, like if i take spotify yeah. or something like that when you have 50 yeah. 60 teams hundreds hundreds but yeah. you know yeah. so when do you start thinking yeah. what's the platform capability for the yeah. other yeah. teams yeah. so that uh, we're not really at that level with ignice but if we go back to 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 navetti yes. then we we had the larger uh, organization larger development team and then basically we looked at platform also a lot of balancing between maintaining the platform capabilities maintenance versus features i mean Maybe code restructuring ba- sometimes balance yeah the balance between teaching development and yeah and and improving performance and safety and all of all of those things in the core and then of course there is a lot of the entire qa process the entire release process and all all of those uh, elements but i was thinking um, when is the time to start thinking like that because you have mm. now the experience mm. now Vetti, i don't know how yeah. when, when you you when did you get to that point that was not yeah. early was no it no it, no that was uh, um, probably when we took the first um, re- <laughs> when we went from generation three to four we really were in that situation where we needed to streamline better and, and, and but if, if if you know with you what you know and mm. experience now yeah. and you, you're trying to look at your trajectory of ignite yeah, yeah. Is is this kind of move one, two, three years down the track, or yeah. when yeah. is the time to start thinking capability platform versus just building? You should product? you should think about that from day one. Yeah. Okay. But, good. Uh, you should think about that from day one, but you you're still gonna the the priority is solving the customer's problem, yeah. and uh, that and and that's gonna be your north star. Uh, very very clearly initially um, because you're still you're still adapting to different use cases and so on you need to be more agile there uh, once you once that is set and have segmented a little bit um then the the way you spend your time and, and make priorities will yeah. be a little bit and different. i would i would argue as long as you're in at a certain level and size yeah. this is one team or like uh, yeah. several teams doing all the same stuff yeah. Yeah. so there is there is some sort of critical mass when you start separating yeah. concerns yeah. platform yeah. this team yeah. is really yeah. only yeah. doing yeah. this yeah. and yeah. these guys are yeah. only doing yeah. that yeah, yeah. That, that is a critical mass topic yeah. I think. and i think uh, when you're also at that stage where you have uh, a platform with multiple offerings on it you need to also follow the money 
Yeah. Uh, so uh, where are we generating revenue and profit, and where are we seeing customer adoption? How? What? Uh, looking at the sales pipeline, where do we have the future business? Don't back into the future. <laughs> Let's look at okay. This is how where we generate revenue today. Where will we generate revenue tomorrow? Are we investing in the future or in the past? Could we, yeah, that, I think mm-hmm. that's a good you know topic to explore more. And, and yeah. we actually were almost getting into that before. But but if we think more about you know how to properly enable yeah. I guess innovation or more long-term planning. Yeah. And and then you can think about so many things about being driven by the demands of the users or being driven by the technology mm. possibilities that you have, mm. etc. And and simply how to maximize mm. innovation happening. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts about yes. that? Yes. So I we're have. moving into planning now for timestamp. We're moving into yeah. how to plan road mapping versus yeah. backlog yeah. versus yeah. 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 let's yeah. start with your question. Yeah. So let's talk about innovation then. Yeah. And say that innovation for the sake of it is not uh, worth so much, I think. Uh, I, okay, elaborate. Uh, so so what I mean is that, okay, you said new technical capabilities. We mm. Now we have many new possibilities, but it should start with the problem we try to solve. What is the, does it pass the so, so what test? Is something I like. So what? So what? what do you mean? So, so um, okay, now I have this information. Um, is it even an insight? Uh, or is it just nice to know and if it doesn't pass that so what test it's basically not worth maintaining so right? if you can't elaborate on what the end user value would be then yeah can it will can it not lead to an action can it not lead to an improvement and you don't get rich on reports you don't get rich on reports sometimes you need to start with that to know what do i what do i have to work with so that you see kind of is this it, is my is data this basically model. the difference between research and engineering you know sometimes you say that mm. you know science or research is really about like building knowledge yeah you don't really know what the value will be but it is about building the knowledge yeah, yeah. and that you do at university and um, i think you can do it at companies as well <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> i certainly do yeah. and i think you know today ai is mainly AI research is mainly done in companies yeah, and they yeah. benefit extreme amounts yeah, of money from yeah, doing so. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think... No, you're, prob- you're probably right. When you get to a, a, a critical mass so you can afford that, it's mm. um, money well spent. But now you, mm-hmm. you have a product problem, you have a usage problem, and this is the so what test. Yeah. Is, there, is this, you know, if we add this feature, in what way is it adding value to our customer? To your customer. Mm-hmm. And that's basically mm-hmm. the engineering. This problem, is the engineering. Right? So the, engineering and research are two different things. One yeah. is building yeah. knowledge, another yeah. is about building products that yeah. provides value for the end user. For the end user. And I, my personal view is to look at the customer challenges as the guide, but they will not provide the answer to you. They will not say, this is what I need. It's like a Henry Ford kind of quote, you know, if yeah. you just listen to the users, you will simply get a no. faster horse. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so, so the, the, this is a very, very profound statement, actually, mm-hmm. that we are not simply doing knee-jerk reaction to what the customer think he wants. We want to deeper understand the work and the problem and even create a demand sometimes, but it, it doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes out of us deeper understanding what yes. Uh, try really problem. try to read between the lines. What is the real problem, and how can we solve that real problem for for our customers and clients? So, what do you mean read between the lines? If you have a user, they mm-hmm. say that they have a problem. Yeah. But you should really try to think what's the real problem. What's the real problem, and and what, or maybe maybe even go 
past the problem and say what what is they trying to solve for mm. yeah but um, and this is classic sometimes a customer asks for output of some kind because they mm. think they need the report mm. but actually what's the decision you're trying to make what's the yeah. outcome yeah. yeah outcome is a so, bit so really you know okay you are you're asking me for an output here what are you going to use the output for what's the outcome you're after and we want to be on the outcome level that's what you're highlighting yes yes if we if we can understand the outcomes we want to drive for our customers and a little bit also wh- where do they want to go yeah, what's impact. the what yeah what's Output, the impact out yeah sorry yeah where where do they want to go where would, do they want to be three to five years from now and how can we help them get there and if we take that requirement and we we read we try to read between the lines but sometimes it's spelled out <laughs> but how do you really read between the lines how do you do that uh, so so you of course then you you can be right or wrong i'm not saying that uh, you necessarily always read, will uh, read this uh, correctly but you try to understand where they want to go this is the direction they are on this is the end destination where we want to take them and currently they are working we can take a concrete example then so uh, where I would say the adoption of this change is still very much ongoing. In the software space, it's happened. We have gone from license and maintenance to service. And um, and we can take the airline uh, industry with the Rolls-Royce engines. They did it in the 70s, right? They were charging for flight hours. So one one way could be to look at uh, an organization and say, okay, where do they want to go? They want to improve customer loyalty. They want to improve their long-term profitability. What are they selling today? Maybe they should sell something different. Maybe their offering and commercial positioning should be, maybe they should charge in a different way. And they come to you and say, can you help me with um, uh, pricing this basket of hardware? Uh, and I want I want to do it this way. And then you could either just listen and build and configure your solution to do that. Or you can try to guide them and say, is the real problem that you want your customer to have better availability, higher performance, higher productivity? Is that the things you want to, how could we solve for this? And and this is profound because if you simply go by knee-jerk reaction, what someone is Mm -hmm. asking you for, Mm -hmm. you're not going to get the whole... Uh, mile because uh, the guy on the other side of the table or girl yeah. might not be able to uh, uh, articulate articulate that. it or even and, understand it or even mm. understand it or mm. uh, and, and and typically what I have found is yeah. that you have very very high fly uh, KPIs yeah. on board level yeah. Yeah. and then we have some very concrete KPIs we understand on ridiculous operational level so how many how many quotes did you send in yeah, yeah. but this yeah. the, the the connection between operational kpis yeah. or and 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 um, result kpis is poor and even more importantly the understanding of the drivers mm-hmm. and, and here is i think the i use the semantics output yeah. outcome yeah. impact yeah. and navigating those yeah. and basically you will find that a lot of people are asking you for an output yeah. Because they are process driven, mm. they are yeah. value chain yeah. driven. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? This pro- this output is serving an outcome. Could you could we elaborate? You know, can we here, talk about the outcome exactly. and can we talk about the impact? If yeah. we can start at the impact we want to make, and, and, and one and thing the, that can help here, I yeah. think, is the. Um, strategic if you want to sell technology to solve uh, um, a need to drive an impact through an outcome 
If you understand the strategic themes that could be spelled out in the annual reports and so on, this is really what we believe in as an organization. You can be better equipped to start that dialogue. Okay, sustainability is important for us. So uh, now we have a new set of KPIs. If we only have been focusing on um, driving sustainable, profitable growth for 15 years through our technology, now we have three new metrics uh, that we that we haven't considered. Maybe we need to get them into uh, the solution set to be able to impact new I mean, things. I think this is, I think, you know, very similar to the Kodak moment. I'm not sure if you yep. heard about that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, Kodak moment, they had the analog cameras and then some employee at Kodak, even in, I think in 1980s or something, came up with the techni- technological kind of invention of a digital camera. And, and they they didn't, of, didn't want to lose out on the film, right? Or something like that. Yeah, they yeah. have a KPI in that case. Yeah. You spoke yeah. about KPI. So they have a KPI about the yeah. resolution of the image or something. Yeah. Yeah. And the resolution of the digital camera was much worse. Yeah. So they simply said, you know, these digital cameras, they are horrible. You know, yeah. they're not improving a, our KPIs. Let's, yeah. let's yeah. drop that. Yeah. And they completely missed out and they went bankrupt in like one year or something, 2008, because they didn't have the combination of, I would say, about both technological driven development and mm-hmm. the like the user driven development or the needs driven development. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and here, here I think actually, uh, now I get a little humble <laughs> when you bring this up uh, because you talked about um, research and engineering yeah. and uh, the importance of kind of driving that forward um, and not, not uh, only kind of the commercial lens how you, how do you balance these these two? Right. Um, because you can go in pitfalls in both directions. Yes, exactly. Yes. That's yeah. the point. Yeah. So right, I think good. both are bad separately. Yeah. If you just go technologically yeah. driven, yeah. that will probably not end up well. Yeah. Yeah. If you just go needs driven, that's yeah. not going to well. Yeah. So you need to have the both, and they they need yeah. to balance. No, very very good. But the and challenge that's back is to the log on the chest. Yeah. If if you realize that you work for the same organization and you want to win cross functionally, then uh, I think you have a, a good. Uh, you're in a good place. Yeah. Right. This is cool. Very good conversations we're having right now, and, and I like that we are fairly concrete now. Um, at least to mean in you know that it's actually quite hard to draw out the right outcomes and outputs. And I, I, I want to share an anecdote, yeah. which I think brings this home really well. Working in Vattenfall with uh, uh, business intelligence reporting in order to, to support the business controllers, the navigators, yeah. uh, more to, to help us steer the, the different business areas. And we basically be, were aiming to really, in one way, automate the data provisioning or ba- make the whole idea of business control being analyzing, navigating, and not data prepping, to yeah. be honest. Yeah, yeah. And then we, you know, what's the output we want? Oh, it looks like this report. Yeah. And now we can do this report and it's beautiful. It's even self-service diagnostic yeah. and it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And we thought we nailed the product, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And then we go in there and talk to the business controllers and we, yeah. and, and, and okay, we nailed the product and they, and they said, oh, this is fantastic, Henrik. And then they start squirming, but this is only helping us day five. Yeah. Because yeah. I need something to do data matching 
mm-hmm. day one. I need something else to do this. And this is what I really realized that, you know, you, how you do your problem framing yep. and how you really go, go granular, as yep. you said yep. in the very beginning of yep. this conversation, yep. let's, let's talk about profitability. <laughs> yeah. Please look at this. Yeah. We failed in, you know, yeah. we, we didn't fail, fail, but we just, we had to, uh, we had to people would say, uh, yeah. "Oh, we did the first iteration, the, MVP, yeah. the, the first yeah. release. The yes. second release will do data matching." Yeah. Yeah. And this, I think, is so important now. Yeah. What is your, you know, if your output is to report, yeah. but the outcome was to automate or drastically reduce data prep or yeah. or, or you know the work for you know for yeah. focusing on analysts, yeah. Yeah. We, we had to do much more. Yes. yes. So I think this is a simple, a very concrete problem framing exercise that around output mm-hmm. of the report versus the real outcome you want to have. Yes. Yes, uh, you know great great anecdote of um if it's almost like it was a little bit feature oriented also, right? Yeah. That we exactly. want to deliver a feature that ticks exactly. off a few boxes exactly but we this. forget about the process we're trying to optimize. Exactly. Um, and and mm-hmm. and how common is that? No comments. Ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Should we move a bit more? I mean, it's it tur- the I think we is, uh, time turning to go a, societal. Yeah, exactly. a little bit more like this. Um, yeah. Can yeah. I? Can I? Um, I, I want to start on on one topic here, and that is actually now we've been exploring uh, to some degree business oriented technologies, mm-hmm. and and one of the key user personas, of course, is the sales director and or yep. sales. Yep. So how how do we understand data and AI starting to impact? these roles or yeah. will some of these roles disappear will the j- job description change so how you know so from your perspective mm. that has that mm. deep yeah. understanding yeah how, how does how what is the future of sales mm. in, in this sense so so i think there are some sales executives that are nervous uh, but i de- i think it really depends on what is the offering that you are selling and um, what's the level of of complexity i think several commercial processes that are commoditized if if you're offering a com- something that is closer to a commodity um sellers today want to be able to drive that sales process very independently and educate themselves the problem is that the the self service buying journey that was only for commodities a few years ago is now starting to grow and how far can that go um, uh, until we meet the, the the situation where you need to solve be more coach like sales so so i i think really the sales process have changed significantly and it's not linear anymore like you know you go through a, a, funnel. a, a funnel with faces it's really it's jumping back and forth to to a big extent and it's challenging for sex, sales executives to navigate and be in control for that process uh, dif- more difficult than ever before i think but and part, funnel management has never been more difficult in this sense no no i don't i don't think so and also the communicate uh, the communities that takes decisions there are more stakeholders involved uh, than ever before and they want information when it's convenient to them so the customer experience that we have talked about a long time with the technology that actually starts way before they are even a customers of yours so how do you serve them under the face when they are educating and themselves now and now we're adding you know, marketing lead generation marketing yeah. qualification yeah. mqls into yeah. lead nurturing yeah. 
into a qualified opportunity where the sales guys see it. So you, there's stuff happening yeah. in the funnel now. Yeah. And it doesn't stop. Uh, it doesn't stop when uh, uh, this, the sales team gets involved. That's continuing on top. So if sales and marketing works well together, they can also be um, they can also be precise and helping that specific sales process if it's large enough. Yes. Uh, to to le- really leveraging um, uh, uh, marketing throughout the entire process. Would you say this is slightly different? I mean, like, or a big difference actually how to think about sales and marketing. If you know, we're talking B two B, of course, yeah. a little bit more complex yeah. deals. Yeah. Yeah. But we are talking about a a. We used in Vattenfall the terminology like oh, I, I want to have my sales guys do the critical. Moments of truth, Yannick yes, Orson, yes, 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 through yes, the sales yes, cycle, yes. and then I want to put an, a jet turbine engine next to him yeah. through the whole process. process. Yeah. Yes, and I, I want to make sure that okay, the sales guy is in here, 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 here. What can we do as micro activities? You know, mm. uh, where, where it's really now sophisticated because then your marketing communication needs to fit where the sales cycle is at. Yes. Uh, Otherwise, yeah. it's just... I, I've seen, uh, we did something qu- quite well with um, uh, collaboration between sales and marketing uh, during the Navetti Vendovo uh, period where we basically used these ring fencing of different geographies and mm-hmm. went out with messaging um, through ads and Google ads and other things in a specific ge- geographical area to serve um, important sales cycles. So we could basically, it was more a little bit more difficult during um, COVID times, but when people were going to the office, if you could re- ring fence that uh, part of the country and, and, and really, then you can afford <laughs> um, the, the, the ads in that smaller uh, region and, and really get the precise message out that serves that strategic account mm-hmm. or, or pr- strategic prospect, I should say. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, what's the what's the final verdict or any? Uh, what's no, the but when here? you see when you see the CEO of that organization downloading your um, uh, guide, then you know that it was successful. Especially if you win the deal in the end. So, so here, here we now this starts to okay. The trend is that more and more stuff is done automated self service. Yeah, and the trend is a seamlessness between digital content from yeah. marketing and the yeah. sales guy yeah. in yeah. order to yeah. build the influence in yeah. all directions yeah. Yeah. to own the uh, yeah. for a prospect yes and then still i have seen i mean uh, strong sales executives still in this environment with all of this change that managed to uh, get buy-in from the buying team that we're going to run a, a structured process and 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 it's to your benefit and to our benefit and you can basically stop and at the all of these different gates and get buy in on on this collaboration and deliver value and get commitment from the clients along the way which is um is powerful with with uh, a clear so, playbook so, so basically mm. what you're saying is you're also seeing a trend when we're talking about complex sales here mm. that you actually you involve the clients in a process yeah. so instead of having a sales process at home you really yeah. make it a deal process joint Collabor- collaboration deal process yeah. Yeah. and in a way a structuring and then we and then we can follow the funnel together yeah 
Yeah. But we are doing it as a deal structure transparently together with the prospect. With the set of activities and what do we want to achieve? You invest your time in this. I I invest my yeah. time in this. We're going to prove different capabilities along the way. And if we if we come to the conclusion jointly that no, this is not delivering the values you're after, we we stop. We stop early yeah. and we don't waste your or, or my time. So th- um, there's just another trend. Yeah. But it, uh, they are they are in uh, different different, uh, different, different sides yeah, um, exactly. and in for different types of, of deals and different organizations and so. Mm. Interesting. Stop there. Take another yes. one. Okay, I, I can go to Please. one more societal kind of thing, and um, I would like to call this um, the question of the Instagram moment. We spoke about the Kodak <laughs> moment, yeah. but the Instagram moment of AI. And what I mean with that is uh, in connection to chat DPT yeah, that's happening, yeah, Bing yeah. chat, Google Bard and everything. Let yeah. me give a, call, a small like intro to this. Yeah. If you, Have you heard about the Instagram moment of this? Or? No, 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 not the Instagram okay, okay. moment. I'm going to let me explain. Mm-hmm. It actually comes from Andrew Ng, one of the mm-hmm. you know, pioneers in deep learning and, and a really mm-hmm. impressive person. But he wrote, I think, something really profound, which was that today, you know, we're seeing explosion in media, mm-hmm. especially, and in the mass you know, market yep. of people of AI and everyone yep. in you know newspapers and, and media outlets are speaking about you know the powers of generative AI mm-hmm. and the downfalls of it. I mean it's mm-hmm. a bit absurd what's happening with Bing Chat and it's being very grumpy AI. Let's not go there. Anyway, it's impressive what's happening now, what you Correct. can ask these kind of generative AI models for. But the potential problem with this is what Andrew Ng phrased as the Instagram moment. So what it means then is in Instagram, I'm, I'm not an Instagram user, but I've heard at least that in Instagram, there is this problem where people put up pictures that are very non-objective of the real world. I mean, they put up pictures of themselves in the best possible lighting, yeah, yeah, of yeah, you know, they being yeah. potentially... Everybody um, has perfect lives. Yes. Everybody is perfect food. Everybody yeah. has perfect vacations. Everybody has perfect children. Yeah. Everybody is are perfect soccer moms. Everybody yeah. is perfect latte makers. Yeah, and there it. is there and and there is only perfection. And yeah. all the rest of us feel, oh my god, I need to shoot myself because I can't live up to this yeah. um, Instagram. Yeah. Uh, I get it. Yeah. So that's the Instagram moment. Then. And, mm-hmm. and potentially now, you know, since AI has been connected, saying. AI is ChatGPT, AI is uh, Google Bard and Bing Chat. AI is not potentially um, like analytics used for... Linear regression, fuck that. (laughs) AI is not even recommender systems. AI is perhaps not even trying to use it for classification purposes or understanding text these days. It needs to be ChatGPT plus level. It needs to be generative, you know. And, and I think that's really a big danger. Mm. And, and mm. then, you know, if you come as a company and say that we have AI, but then someone that is not perhaps connected to, you know, the technical details of AI say, ah, you can't even ask it a question. Yeah, yeah. That's not AI. Yeah. Do, you, yeah. do you find this a problem? It's like they are raising the lever of yeah. what useful, I would even argue that, you know, this type of generative AI, of course, have yeah. new users, yeah. uses. Yeah. Yeah. But the traditional type of deep learning or yeah. even traditional Insights machine learning yeah. so what yeah. we yeah. Do is, yeah. is really useful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you yeah. use a lot of traditional yeah. machine yes. learning as yes. well, right? Yes, yes, yes. And that's yeah. super useful, but it's getting overshadowed mm. in some way. But in one way, uh, sometimes we are ourselves to blame 
because okay. we're talking about uh, we we use these buzzwords and we we talk about AI and machine learning. Why yeah. why do we even talk about it? Why don't we focus on the end goal again? Mm-hmm. What is the the outcome or the? I like it. <laughs> so so we we should we should try to talk about the problems we solve and let's stay out of the kitchen mm-hmm. with our clients. So don't speak about technology. Speak about the outcome. Let's, let's talk about the outcome more uh, because that's why we are here we're here to help them uh, fulfill their needs but at times you still need to they want to hear it also at at times so i i think but i I think mm -hmm. this is an industry problem i think this is a going from the consultancy industry Mm -hmm. to the vendors to Mm -hmm. the vc you know now we need to slap generative ai in in the in the in the in the sales deck in order to get the vc aroused Mm -hmm. so you know and and we we brought it on ourselves yeah. and it, it is not healthy. I, I really mm. want to go back to mm. your basic, you mm. know, let's be outcome mm. focused and yeah. really, and here the problem is we, we are even shitty in talking about the business problem we are solving because we are so f- stuck up in, in talking mm. about the but tech. Every, everything, everything else. Around it. Everything yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it, a pitfall it, it, you can go they, into. But yeah. this is, I, I, how do we break that wheel? I, I, because I think that is a, mm-hmm. a, a negative spiral flywheel, and and it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I can even I can even explain how it works. Mm-hmm. We have the Gartner quadrants who yeah. was feeding into the management yeah. consultancies, who was feeding yeah. into the vendors, and then yeah. the flywheels goes yeah. around. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I had a friend talking about this who is in, in you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I can ask you: Is it important mm-hmm. for you to do a storytelling so you can fit into one of the quadrants? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he's, mm-hmm. and he's like mm-hmm. cynical enough, good mm-hmm. sales guy enough to yeah. say, "I, I, I kind of need to do this in order to get into the yeah. quadrant." Yeah. Ah. yeah. And he, business sales-wise, he's correct, of yeah. course. Yeah. But is 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 it really the way we want to get yeah. things done? No. No, it's it's tr- tr- tricky, but it's. Um, I mean. It's a lot of power in these guides, and it's used by procurement. So I yeah. understand his his perspective that uh, um, the story needs to tick all the boxes. But when we sit down with with customers, we should talk about the value we want and the problems we want to solve, the value we want to bring. But to get there, there are there are some yeah. table Oops. states stakes that we 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 need to meet. Um, uh, is it? Can we change it? Do Can we, we want change to change it? it? Yeah. Is it good or bad? I'm just observing how, mm. the, how it works mm. kind of thing. But I think maybe uh, the, the, the other side is all of these self-reviews, right? So if you go, uh, if you travel and you check into an Airbnb, you want to hear what what does the people have to say about the, the this place and, and this service provider. And the same, I think, could, could be very relevant uh, and it's of course already there uh, through several providers, but maybe that's something that could neutralize this a little bit, so um, it becomes more user driven. But then back to uh, Anders' question: is, is it a problem now that the mainstream media is sort of putting so much emphasis on just one small snippet of the space. But of it's data. cool, right, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> because you could argue any media is good media. Any attention on AI helps yeah. us to get yeah. into the conversation. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if it's good yeah. or bad. But I, really I, I think know. also, I mean, it's uh, generative AI and ChatGPT and the power of that, that's also uh, makes you 
when you look three to five years out and the direction of it, that, that also slaps you a little bit in the face and think, okay, what can we do better? Even if we're in a traditional space and we want to provide insights and guidance and be descriptive, it's still it's still one way to um, can you rethink, re- rethink how you deliver rethink how you, how you deliver, you your, deliver value. your value and and also I mean in in our space with with data driven insights if we could uh, generate the relevant prompts to like chat GPT and and make it more alive uh, make it more alive you know turn the figures into a story in a more powerful way I think it could help adoption. Uh, now back uh, to, to the theme, mm. how do we act, how do we make insights actionable? Yeah. How do we drive widespread adoption? Yeah. And here you now back back then to rethinking from the how old we way. how we deliver, deliver the insights and if we can do that, uh, I mean, combining data and text and voice and video and what have you, maybe the experience can be improved for the for the end users. And, and here you said something many times, Sandesh, I, I try to, you, you can pick it up, but the real, the best AI is the AI that doesn't feel like an AI. Well, the AI doesn't make it more technically complicated. You, yeah. you usually use your your mother and, you know, yes. working as a nurse with a fucking old journal system that was impossible. If you had a yeah. real AI that you could converse with, yeah. you know, that's Have what AI is all about. Have a conversation, be, be, be human. The be human. AI, AI could help us be human with our systems. Mm. That's the beautiful thought. It is. I think there is a beautiful future if mm. you move it in the direction of using, you know, machines working together with humans. And yeah. AI can certainly help that happen. So yeah. big, big. But then, if we move to another, yes, sorry. please go, go, go. I, I need, I need to just mention one thing, uh, if, yes, if you don't. Please, please. Yeah, and please. and that uh, would be sometimes how slow things are. Uh, you remember the first. Uh, um, uh, early, early smartphones with voice, you know, you, we could speak and we could see each other and it didn't take off at all. <laughs> yeah, VAP, yeah, now we're back on those days. And when three, three came with that type of capability and promoting it, nothing happened for 10, 15 years. And now we're spending most of our days in Zoom meetings doing exactly that. So this is interesting, right? With, you talked about we want a collaborative AI, we want to speak to it, but we're not used to it. And it takes so long time to get used to very new ways of communication. I mean, this well. actually moves to another topic, uh, which we probably don't have time for. But but you know, speaking about you know the IT development versus like organizational development. Oh. I mean, this is yeah, we probably shouldn't go there. But just to connect to yeah. that, because I think it's so important, because yeah. we are seeing so many technological you know advances now happening. But to make ChatGPT or whatever kind of generative AI useful in an organization requires a significant change in the way of working in that yeah. organization yeah. Yeah. and perhaps the whole business model and perhaps yeah. the whole organization <laughs> as a whole, right? Yeah. And, and that doesn't happen overnight. No. Now it's uh, early adapters playing with it and capture some value uh, here and there, mm-hmm. but it's not... Uh, part of the design of the organizational structure or how work is distributed or anything like that. But we've gone down this rabbit hole quite a bit. And um, on the DARE Awards, I did actually, it started with doing some research for a a keynote where we're trying to map out, you know, um, when will the fourth industrial revolution happen or how can we, how can we track 
innovation, right? That has the paradigm shifting uh, character. And then if you start looking at innovation like that, it, it kind of looks like that we don't have an innovation problem anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the fourth industrial revolution is not a tech revolution, it's an organizational revolution, it's an adoption, adoption problem. So basically the tech has come and gone and started piling up mm-hmm. faster than the normal businesses has been able to use it. And mm-hmm. and anyone who disagrees on that mm-hmm. has not really looked themselves in the mirror and compared themselves with, with the Googles and, and the... I mean, like there are clear examples of companies who are getting huge values out of this and the yeah. most of us, the tail, yeah. back to this. Yeah. So we are back into this yeah. topic yeah. that the tail is not a tech problem, it's an organizational yeah. ideology, yeah. And, I- ideology and, problem. And, and, and I think actually we talked here about um, generative AI and the hype and is it good, is it bad? I think maybe it can actually help with the tail because as it was a little bit of fatigue setting in, in uh, uh, the, the graveyard and things like this, you mentioned, this can give a new boost. E- energy boost to help that tail actually do what they should have done already. I, I saw something, um, I, saw, I saw a YouTube clip mm-hmm. the other guy day of someone who was a little bit smacked in the face by Janet, uh, ChatGPT and he did a very good uh, mm-hmm. storytelling because he was one of the guys who was very much on the trade for the internet revolution. And he was an early Napster user in 95. And at that point in time, he could see around the corner what was coming. So he could see and understand how we can harness the internet, sort of the vision, right? And he was right at the cusp riding that wave. Uh, Now the guy is a little bit more our our age and basically what you he, mean young? No, I, I can't remember who's, this is a YouTuber, you know, yeah. whatever. I can't remember. But he, he, he did the thing, you know, what if we, we need to understand that ChatGPT mm-hmm. is the Napster moment of internet. Yeah. So, and, and what I mean with the Napster moment of internet is like, no one really understood that internet was anything cool or anything stuff, yeah. but then some simple services started to break into mainstream yeah. and all of a sudden we you know my i knew we knew what napster was because we got our free music from here we didn't really surf all the internet but we used napster as a mm-hmm. tool and all mm-hmm. of a sudden we could see the potential here this is 95 right mm-hmm. and then from 95 we, we we went crazy to 2000 and we had the internet bubble and there's a lot of documentaries on this mm-hmm. everything that is said what you know all the crazy ideas that was said by Hofstein yeah. and all them, they are actually played out. Yeah. It's used that they didn't play out in 2000, they played out no. in 2015. No. So, mm. so there, you know, it's a classic catch-up that, effect, right? Delay, huh? Problem. It, you know, mm. and this is, you know, typically it takes longer for it to come, but when it mm. comes, it comes bigger, right? Mm. So, we, we, so for me, I think that was a good analogy. Chat GPT is the Napster effect of gen, you know, of AI. Mm-hmm. So, but with the with, then then comes the big but. Mm-hmm. But with AI, we can't really see where it's ending mm-hmm. because with internet, then it has mm-hmm. this sort of understanding where the where the Sigmund curve uh, plateaus. Yeah. But with yeah. AI, yeah. I don't know if there's yeah. a plateau. Yeah. Perhaps we should move to the even more singularity kind of question now, connected to Chat GPT. So. Mm-hmm. Without, if I just you know describe a question here a bit, 
you know, one of the really impressive things with ChatGPT, even though I would like to stress that from a research point of view, ChatGPT mm. was not really a big invention, but from an engineering point of view, it was was mm. a really big invention. Still, one of the big things was the ability to understand code mm. and write code. Yeah. So now it becomes the easy question, you know, is someone simply says to ChatGPT or connects yeah. that into a loop saying, um, I found this kind of response when speaking to people to be bad, can you f please fix it? Or I got a stack trace of a bug happening here, can you yeah. please fix that yeah. in ChatGPT? And yeah. today you can try that. I've tried it. Yeah. A lot of people have tried it. It works really, really well. well. I remember one time I had a bug in a in a system. It was a silly like JavaScript thing. I couldn't find the problem. I just wrote it in like a na uh, very like loose kind of natural language terms. Mm -hmm. It gave a perfect answer and a suggestion for the code change. You know, imagine if you just do the connect that to itself, saying, yeah. I have yeah. this problem, can you yeah. fix it? It fixes yeah. it, it implements it, it yeah. redeploys itself. Yeah. No humans involved at all. Yeah. Yeah. You just have a complete autonomous loop yeah. of a system that is continuously self improving all the time. Yeah. That is more or less the definition of the Skynet, yeah. Yeah. of the singularity. Yeah. Yeah of a system that is moving faster and faster yeah, in yeah. its ability to do whatever it yeah. wants to do. Yeah. And that's where you would hope that we can put some relevant constraints you would hope in that, place. Right? Do you think we will be able to do that? Because no, that's no, that's difficult to answer. And uh, um, we, we humans have been naive so many times. And we have, I mean, if we leave tech for a second, we, what everything we have tried in, in nature and with technology and development, and we have moved species around on the planet and oops, that happened, that happened, let's try to correct it and something else uh, goes bad. So, but then always we have been at the top of the pyramid when we fucked up. Right. It's <laughs> always been human in a loop. There. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we have, it sometimes has taken us a long time to correct our mistakes and sometimes we have even failed and we, we have big problems today <laughs> where we have started loops, I mean, climate change and so on. So, of course, but there has not been anyone else that could stop the madness <laughs> if we put it that way. Yes. But, but so that, that's a little scary. But the example you're bringing up here now, yeah. it's like sometimes we're very caught up in defining, is this... Uh, general intelligence or is it narrow or is it intelligent at all the example you're bringing up actually could lead to huge disasters mm -hmm. without this even formally being a general intelligence that's a very good point mm -hmm. it, it, it is, because, because even if it's be, not general okay, this can we all can we be. all agree it's stupid and i saw a mm -hmm. really really good article highlighting how to understand chat gpt mm -hmm. uh, and the main important thing is to separate the ability of language versus mm. the ability of thought. Yep. And I've, I found that a, an interesting idea yep. that, yep. that, you know, you can master languages and you can have functional language, but it doesn't mean you can think. No. But, I but, would but, actually but, challenge that, but yeah, still, but, it's, but, uh, but, it's a good point. But, 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 but and so my point is here, you're, you're, you're drawing up a scenario that is a near future scenario that someone yeah. is doing something it that should be becomes easy to do a, today, actually. Uh, yeah. actually 
quite technically to do a loop on the shit would yeah. be quite easy. Today. And what happens if you if that loop goes bananas? Yes. You don't yes. know. We no. don't know that. And that yeah. could generate general intelligence it could, by mistake. It, it could yeah. generate general without intelligence by mistake, yes. without intention, mm. or it can generate something that we can't control. Mm. If it's intelligent or not, I don't I don't really know, but it could it could so we outcome can outcome driven. The outcome could be really the, the, bad. The, you can get to a singularity <laughs> effect without you know, it's being, you know, not even intentionally. Yeah. But that's also what we said a bit before, you know, it's not really the general intelligence that we are afraid of. It's a narrow intelligence that's stupid. Yes. Yeah. That's what we always said. Afraid yeah. of. That, that yeah. goes rogue, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah. And you have autonomous weapons or you have something that generates viruses. So, so in some sense, we are, we are in a really scary situation the next couple of years yes. when we're experimenting with this and we're doing something we don't yeah. really understand how, what yeah. happens when this goes yeah. Yeah. exponentially faster and faster and faster. Yeah. Are you scared? No, I'm not scared. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I don't, uh, that's not how I spend my time <laughs> walking around being scared. But no. there, there are many threats. Um, and uh, um, you, you can, I mean, it's helpful if we jointly go after and solving uh, different challenges that we have. And in healthcare, in education, in tech, in business, in we have, life. You know, as you say, yeah. that's, we have so many challenges in our society yes. today. So, yeah. I mean, there's no need or there is no lack of need for use of more intelligence in the no. world today, no. right? No, no. we will so probably that, die that, from that their, we their need, problem. That, that we need. That yes. we need, and I think the, the, there is a lot of advantage and we, we better capture that. Yes. And we, be, we need to be, we should not be naive. We're, yeah. we're, we're playing with powerful capabilities and yes. uh, pace is high. So, um, uh, but I'm not afraid and I, uh, I, uh, that's not how I work. You're an optimist. I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist. So am I. Yeah. Yeah, me too. But I think that's a good, um, good ending to sort of start wrapping up. Yeah. Yes. And we have a couple of cl- uh, classic questions. We always want to, you know, what's next in your life? That's the classic yeah, question yeah. for us. Uh, yeah. I mean, I have, um, uh, Three kids, uh, so no more kids. That's not <laughs> next up. That's not next up. But I'm, I must say, um, uh, and and two are a little bit older, and the smallest is uh, is just two. So it's really great to see uh, rapid development also on, on that front. So that uh, that's, um, that I, I'm going to keep a very close eye on uh, this year, uh, development of all my three children. That's a life in yeah. abundance, right? When AI keeps doing the bad stuff we can focus on focus the important on other stuff. things yes. yeah no but yeah. i think that's uh yeah. that's that's going to be a focus this year that's awesome and, mm-hmm. and and last questions do you have any good uh recommendations for guests who do you want to see Ooh, on the board how, that's a tough one um but uh, why not <laughs> this is going to be diff- difficult for you but why not invite um, uh, uh, musk here to explain <laughs> his pricing well, decision no problem <laughs> i would like, i would like would to, have to hear i mean here is pricing uh, pricing, is. pricing strategy as a pricing nerd, as a pricing <laughs> nerd i would like to know <laughs> the reasoning and uh, why did he decide to give all that profit away no mm. problem i call him tomorrow and we'll yeah. fix that yeah Oh, thank you. Or not. Looking forward, <laughs> to, looking awesome. forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> that will be really fun, though. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Great to be Thanks. here. Uh, love, love what you're doing. Awesome. Yeah. Good fun, man. Really good fun. Thank you very much. Thank you.